Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, good afternoon, folks. Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson and Michael Remus with you, and we have a packed lineup coming up today. Uh, obviously, the big story in town, Rick Bonus being hired as the uh, new head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. We will have Sean Reynolds, who spoke to Bones yesterday. Rennie's coming up in a few minutes. And then Murata Tesh as well, uh, both on the Jets' moves. And we'll get some thoughts on the Jets going into Thursday's round one of the NHL draft with Murat, who I believe is already in Montreal. And then a little later on, really looking forward to this. Westy's going to jump on with us. Troy Westwood will uh, get some thoughts on the, the Bombers' 22 or 23-22 victory over the Argos. What it was like seeing Andrew Harris playing against the Bombers in double blue. And, uh, of course, Westies takes on the Jets offseason as well. Uh, big shout-out to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including our friends at Aikens Lake, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Fresh Market, Cully & Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboia Downs Canadian Club Whiskey, and Cool Bet Canada. We did have Monday Night Football last night. It's actually a pretty heck of a great way to start off the week. And that's the way where we're going to start the show today. And let's get Michael Remus in here and uh, discuss another big win for the Bombers. What's going on, dude? Another win from the Bombers. But did, did they win in convincing enough fashion for you? Are there four? Is there four and no record? Is it dominating enough? Well, it wasn't <laughs> dominating enough to cover the spread last night and get me to four and oh and catch that parlay. I'll say that much. Um, uh, it, it was, uh, first, uh, that was an insane game. Like, when we talk, and I know Hamilton mentioned, some people say that the CFL stands for the Crazy Football League. If that was the only game that you'd seen uh, of the CFL, you would be wondering, is it this bizarre each and every week? I mean, from the Argos' first touchdown, that ridiculous pick that the Bombers made, uh, which included a tip drill, a lateral to another player, uh, I tweeted out last night that Bombers are sort of like the Harlem Globetrotters of defense. Um, and then a late comeback by the Argos, and the game ended on one of the worst extra point attempts you'll see in a long time for the highest paid kicker in the Canadian Football League. Uh, it had a little bit of everything, Reem, but the one thing that we've become used to talking about is the Bombers finding a way to win, and they did it again, and they are 4-0 and in the CFL. Yeah, you can't argue with their record. Uh, they just, you know, we used to say that they would find a way to lose, but, you know, when you need a big play from the defense in the fourth quarter, uh, it's there. If your offense is sputtering, it seems like the defense can chip in with the score on their own. Um, I mean, that was, I guess, great acrobatics by Adam Big Hill to start off that play, and then you had the lateral on the interception. Um, pretty incredible. So, I mean, I, I thought the Bombers would win, but I definitely thought it would be be a bit tougher. You know, like, again, the Argos did give them their loss last season. And, you know, Andrew Harris, revenge game narrative, I don't think we had enough time to talk about that. I mean, this guy looked uh, vintage with 111 yards on 22 carries, average five yards, five yards a carry. But the bomb, I mean, Mark Leggio came in, made some, made some kicks, three for three of field goals. That's been a question. The long was only... 32, but hey, made, made the kicks. That's what we want. So <laughs> that was the difference. Uh, you just ask yeah. uh, the guys on the Argos side. So, I mean, it was, again, great entertainment. And you were kind of wondering who was going to step up, step up without Nick Dembski. Dalton's shown 
with five catches, 73 yards. Greg Ellingson got banged up. He had three catches for 50. But it was Walatarski who had the touchdown. So, you know, a lot of different contributors. I think there's definitely some questions about the Bombers. I do think they're still number one on my power rankings. Well, I know I, and, you, you and West, you're going to get into this about the running backs. I mean, Andrew Harris, a uh, big, big revenge game. Well, every game is a revenge game for Andrew Harris, it seems. I mean, this guy is such, this guy is such an outlier. Um, I mean, running backs are not supposed to be doing what he's doing, never mind at his age, after, the, after 30. Um, you know, he's just about, um, I, I don't know whether he passed this last night, passed Milt Stiegel, or will do it in the next game. But he's just about up to fourth all time in total yards from scrimmage in CFL history. Um, but man, Reem, I mean, what a difference. I mean, you looked at the bomber running attack last night and the Argo running attack, and that's, you know, considering the two offensive lines. I mean, it just goes to show how much gas Andrew Harris has left in the tank. And it maybe wouldn't be as big of a topic here if the Bombers running game was getting the job done. But with just 60 total yards for the team last night, I mean, that has been a real sore spot so far. And listen, I know there's a lot of pressure on Brady Oliveira um, to get things going. He had seven carries last night, an average of four. Um, you know, a number of times not able to to move the chains. And, you know, that ended up bringing Mark Leggio out to punt right now. So, I don't know. My big takeaway last night, and maybe this was you know, a little romanticizing, you know, what Andrew Harris meant. But my God, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers miss Andrew Harris. I mean, if you swap, if you if Andrew Harris was wearing uh, blue and gold last night, I think the Bombers win that game comfortably by two touchdowns. Um, it wasn't that case. And it was the Toronto Argonaut offense that certainly, um, you know, got the better of the Bombers in most of the yardage. But when it comes down to it, it's turnovers that'll kill you. And there is no more... Uh, sticky-fingered group than uh, the Bombers secondary. And uh, great to see Winston Rose really set the tone with that pick six early in the game. Yeah, and he got uh, what was it, burned in week one. We were talking about him. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, you look at the turnovers. Uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, two interceptions. Uh, Zach Caleros, he had that one pick in the end zone. I feel like he, he off, I don't want to say often, but when he throws interceptions, it's you know when the Bombers are trying to score and sometimes you know he throws it in the end zone and it gets... It gets picked off. I, I haven't. I don't have any numbers, but just from watching games, well, is that a reoccurring thing theme with him, or am I off base? Well, I mean, listen, he hasn't made that many mistakes, so I mean, a few do stand out. I mean, what was for, for the record? I don't think he's. What's his record? Like he's one loss as a starter. He's lost one game in three and the bomb. Yeah, and the bombers. So, so I mean, <laughs> we're really like really nitpicking here, but at the same time, you're trying to get points. You can't throw interceptions in the end zone. Well, here's the thing, and I think he would, I mean, certainly would love to have that back because, um, I mean, the Bombers on that play, one of the receivers, I can't remember who it was, was offside by five yards. I mean, the flag had gone up. I mean, it, it was essentially an unnecessary risk because even if it was completed, um, it was going to be coming back. So, you know, that was unfortunate for the Bombers. I mean, obviously the three points would have helped them in the second half. Um, but once again, it was sort of that bend, but no break. Um, you know, we've talked about it for so many times. Um, but once again, Argos would get down into the red zone and the Bombers made big plays uh, up until late in the game. when, of course, the Toronto, uh, Toronto Argonauts were able to get it over the uh, over the goal line in for six. And, you know, what we thought was going to be a simple convert and sending this game to overtime ended up with the win. And I know we're going to talk to this uh, with Westy a little bit later on, but have you seen the standings, Rebo? <laughs> I mean, the uh, the last place team in the West 
the Edmonton Elks were tied with the first place teams in the East with uh, with one win so far this season. And Saskatchewan, that's three and one, is in fourth place in the West. Um, you know, this has been a common theme over a number of years. I actually thought that this would have been a year that we maybe got away from that and there'd be a little bit more parity. Huh. Anyone that was expecting that, I think, is uh, sorely mistaken. It is all about the West right now. And, uh, you know, the Argos, despite being one and two, are tied for first with Montreal. Yeah, it's kind of um, too bad the way that it's worked out. Farhan Lalji had a really good tweet where you look at some of these losses here. Um, so this is so this is Farhan pointing it out. And we're going to look at the standings. And, yeah, I think it looks pretty bad. But I don't think Ottawa is as bad as their record. I think they're pretty good. That They've just played the... Top two teams, but here is here's Farhan's tweet. So after four weeks, the East-West record, West leads 11-1. However, seven West wins were one score game. One of them was overtime. And the Hamilton losses were nine and six point games going into the fourth. And Saskatchewan, Al's led Saskatchewan at halftime. So one game was a total blowout, BC-Toronto. So Farhan thinks it's closer. I don't know if it's... It just seems like the West teams just find a way to win. Like the Bombers have against the two Ottawa games and this game. So I don't think it's that far off as the standings would indicate, but can't really argue that how silly it looks when you see the last place team in the West with one win would be first in the East. Now, this is all setting up for a monster game earlier in the season on Saturday night. Bombers heading out to BC to take on the undefeated Lions. Young Phenom quarterback Nathan Rourke getting it done. Um, but um, we'll have some time to get to that later on in the week. Um, there was a couple of other incidents, Remo, that, uh, you know, we mentioned that wild pick that the Bombers had. Toronto also got on the board with one of the most bizarre touchdowns I think I've ever seen. And I joke with the guys, it literally was taking an act of God for the Bombers to give up a touchdown. Now, of course, they did a little bit more than that in the second half. But uh, I don't know where you were on this one. We went back and forth over and over watching all the replays. I actually do think that they got it right. I don't think that um, you know the bomber um, D-back had possession of it. But how that didn't either hit the ground or was incomplete, I'll never understand. I mean, truly a uh, one in a million touchdown in the game last night. Yeah, I... I saw the uh, what the Houston goes up for the pick. Looks like he has it. Brandon Banks gets his hands in there. Now, I don't know if he had complete control. The ball was rolling around before he hit the ground. And then as they hit the ground, it pops out. Banks has it for a touchdown. I watched it over and over. And replay. There was the one angle where you could see now. I, went, I thought, okay, I can see why this would be a touchdown. And then I go on Twitter. And I see, realize that I'm in the complete minority where every single person... Every every media person seemed to think it was an interception. I just don't know. I mean, the way it was, so they called it a touch on the field, so it's going to be tough to overturn. I think it was hard to say that he had complete control of the ball when he hit the ground. So I was okay with it being a touchdown, although I see that I'm maybe the only person who thinks that, and people think the ground caused it. I don't know. Maybe Banks's hand was in there and loosened it up on the way to the ground. So. I was okay with it being a touchdown again, but I appear to be in the minority. Yeah, you know, it was just so bizarre. And I mean, I think you make a great point. The fact that it was called a touchdown on the field. I mean, you needed to have clear, conclusive evidence that, you know, it was the other way for them to overturn it. And I don't think that it was there. 
But I don't know. I mean, there's some people that thought the ball hit the ground. I thought the ball was very close to hitting the ground, but it never did. And I don't know. I mean, I never saw Houston with full, clear control being down. I mean, the ball seemed to still be going, and that's why it ended up being a, being a TD. Um, but certainly, and you're exactly right, I think that that was as a controversial a play in, uh, that we've seen in a long time. And, hey, well, maybe the Argos got a break uh, early in the game, but they didn't get a break when uh, from the football gods at the end of the game. <laughs> and listen, you know what? You turn the football over five times, you don't deserve to win. And um, I think, you know, when the Argos and Dinwiddie go back and check out what happened with them last night, um, you know, they'll look to their inability to take care of the football. And that's what good football teams do. And that's why the Bombers are 4-0. and They're certainly not blowing anybody out. But when you are able to dominate defensively and get those huge field-changing plays, especially something like a pick six from Rose last night, you'll win your fair share of games right now. And, you know, Zach Caleros didn't need to, you know, look like, um, you know, the best quarterback in the league last night. They needed to take care of the football. They did that for the most part, with the exception of that one pick that, you know, we talked about earlier. And uh, that is the bread and butter of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the reason why they are still the team to beat going into this monster matchup on Saturday night against BC. Yeah, we can get into what matchup. Uh, yeah, we'll just get it. I was going to say something else, but uh, you know what? You just hit the nail right on the head with uh, everything you said there. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that, you know, maybe the Bombers has it is early. It's, you know, beginning of the season and maybe the offense will be clicking more as it goes on. I mean, you have so many uh, new phases here. They didn't have Dembski, as we talked about, Andrew Harris, Kenny Lawler gone. So I, I liked uh, what Dalton shown has done early on. We talked about him in training camp, so we'll see how the Bombers' offense gels as the season goes on. But this game on Saturday, how concerned are you? Okay, Monday, Eastern time zone, and then you go home, and now you have to go to the West time zone on for Saturday's game. That's like a couple different time zones, Hus. Um, I now, we banned time, zone, con we'd ban time no. zone conversation during... The Maurice era. Are we are, are we bringing it back well, off suspension to talk about this game? Look, I thought yesterday's game was going to be like a letdown game, a look-ahead game where you're favored quite a bit against Toronto. You come in and you're not at your best. I think this is a real challenger. I'm curious to see how Nathan Rourke goes against a real defense. Like, I don't think BC's putting up 50 points again. But uh, I think the Bombers definitely behind the eight ball here, having played with a short week plus. I mean, it was a home game. You know, they'll be okay, but you have to go to BC, and it's an afternoon game as well. So you're playing, so even shorter, even shorter week. Well, um, and, and, and I mean, like, listen, they're going to be off today. They'll get some treatment. I mean, they might have it one day of practice um, and then a travel day uh, slash walkthrough and then going at it on the, on Saturday. Certainly when you look at the schedule, um, this might be the, the toughest spot game yeah. for the Bombers all year. And, you know, we've kind of taken a look at some other teams that have been in those situations, and it hasn't been kind to them. Um, that being said, I think the emergence of BC and the way that they played so far and the buzz that they've generated, uh, I think there's less likely you'll have a, a letdown from the Bombers in this game, just because, frankly, they're so consistent with what they've been doing. But I think they'll be looking forward to trying to make a statement and remind everyone that, they're still the man, if you will. And um, Nate Rourke and uh, the rest of the BC line still have ways to go. Although I will say this, and we'll get to the cool bet lines a little later on. I can't remember the last time the Bombers were an underdog in a football game. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's a good question. I don't I don't recall. But, 
I mean, BC's definitely earned it. They're at home. I mean, you look at some of the look at the quarterback rating. I saw it was a Darren who tweeted this out. Like you got a bunch of guys in their QB efficiency rating. Here it is. Uh, what do you got? Fajardo ninety seven, Caleros ninety seven, Bo Levi ninety six, Nathan Rourke one thirty five. I mean, he's been absolutely insane. Eighty three percent passing completion, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. They've just beat up on these teams. So. Uh, but look, they played who did they play? Ottawa, Toronto, oh, I think is better than who they went toe to toe with. Uh, Toronto, Edmonton. They're not playing anyone that great. So we'll see how uh, the Bombers defense goes. And I think it'll be a big challenge. I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing it. I usually just lock Nathan Rourke in fantasy, but uh, I have a hard time wanting to play him against the Bombers defense. Well, he's going to probably have about 90% ownership in some of those DFS contests right now, the way that he's playing right now, between the passing, the running yards, I mean, the points they've been putting up. Uh, but this will be the test for the British Columbia Lions. We'll talk more about it throughout the week as we get closer to Saturday and the Bombers' big game. We're going to have Sean Reynolds jump on in just a second here on the show. Uh, before we do that, big shout-out to our friends at Aikens Lake. We're going to get out to Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge in early August. Cannot wait for it. And, man, we've been seeing some absolute monster fish being pulled out of the lake lately over on their uh, social feeds at Aikens Lake. Uh, if you're thinking about maybe planning either a family trip or a long-awaited corporate getaway, Aikens is the spot. You can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg. Find out more at AikensLake.com or hit up our pal Pitt Turen on Twitter for more information at Aikens Lake. Uh, Mention our friends at Wallace and Wallace have a lot going on right now. We often talked about their fencing, their overhead doors for your garage. And I know they were there taking care of Remus who had a garage door issue. Um, but they also install and service boathouse doors. In fact, if you're ripping around the lake and one of the boathouse doors catches your eye, chances are it's one of theirs. Uh, they've got steel or aluminum doors, polycarbonate or glass panels, and a design that's perfect for your little piece of paradise. And hey, if you're thinking about your boathouse door, could use some TLC now that the high water's receiving, you can give them a call to arrange a service visit at 452-2700. You can also hit them up at wallacedoors.com or check out their showroom on Lawson Road. And hey, speaking of the showroom, if you've got a tennis ball hanging in your garage to keep your bumper from bumping, we got a special offer just for Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners. The first 50 people to swing by 90 Lawson Road will receive a free LiftMaster Laser Garage Parking Assist. Just pop down, ask for Haley or one of the gang, and tell them Hassan Remo sent you from Winnipeg Sports Talk. Wallace and Wallace, 90 Lawson Road, and online at wallacedoors.com. Uh, gang's looking good. Speaking of F apparel, I mean, Ken and uh, Ren were, um, they looked like models there at the cup final. Uh, now I got a little bit more work with the big news about Rick Bonus. We'll talk to them, but, uh, you know, certainly most of the guys in the media, uh, many of them popping over to F apparel to get their custom suits starting at just $400 uh, and much more than suits as well. Chinos, golf pants, accessories, and more. Check them out. 190 Smith Street downtown and online at F Apparel. And uh, hey, you know, with barbecue season here right now, parties, F, uh, Vita Health Fresh Market has you covered. Um, listen, they're already stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural grocery supplements and beauty products. Also got a great selection of non-alcoholic drinks if you're entertaining and want to make sure you've got some non-alcoholic options. And man, bison burgers, bison steaks, lean chicken, and more. Some great healthy options for the barbecue as well. Pop down and see them at one of seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, 
and also check them out online at myvita.ca with their fully shoppable website. All right, we have a lot to get to on the Jets. We got a new head coach who joined our next guest yesterday afternoon. And of course, he's back now from the cup final and getting ready for draft week. Sean Reynolds joins us now. Ren, what's up? What's happening? Nothing. How are you doing, Huss? I'm doing well. My head's still spinning from the last couple of weeks following the uh, ups and downs of the Winnipeg Jets. Started off with striking out on Barry Trotz. And um, let me ask you, I mean, you're obviously following this very closely. You've been talking to people throughout the cup final as to what's happening in Winnipeg. What did you think when you heard that Rick Bonus was the guy last Friday? Well, uh, I, I was I was a little surprised because I kind of forgot about him, right? And I, I feel, I feel, how did I forget about him? Because when he came loose, I thought, boy, oh boy, that would be a real fit if Barry Trotz doesn't end up here. Now, I think we all just got so so involved and so caught up in the Barry Trotz thing that we didn't think about it that much. And then it started to kind of seem the way that uh, Bonus stepped away from Dallas. And his future was a little unsure. And I was like, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And now I wasn't surprised yesterday to hear him say that he turned down a number of uh, coaching opportunities that weren't head coaching opportunities. Um, but I just think that this is, uh, when it happened, I thought, okay, all right, this makes a ton of sense. And I mean, I know a lot of people are thinking that this is going to have something to do with, you know, the fact that he was a Winnipeg Jet. He spent time as a coach of a Winnipeg Jet. And clearly, you know, the way that a guy like Scott Arneal comes back and a way that a guy like Pascal Vincent, what his voice was, you know, or his, his uh, name was in with the candidates. Clearly, True North likes to have Winnipeg connections and they like to go back to people that they've had, uh, you know, past connections with. And they like to keep those connections strong. Heisinger ends up part of the organization and remains for a really long time. But I mean, I don't see it as being that. I, I honestly and I, I tweeted about this and I'm, I'm actually surprised how many people are upset about this move. I mean, this, first off, is a plan B. Like, they both of them admitted to it. Chevy talked about it yesterday. We all knew it. It was out in the media. Rick Bonus talked about it. This is a plan B. And if I told you that the Jets were going to have to go and hit plan B and their plan B was going to include a guy who'd taken his team to the Stanley Cup within the last three years, who had outdueled Jared Bednar in the Colorado Avalanche in the process, who had outdueled Pete DeBoer and the Vegas Golden Knights in the process, two superior rosters, and almost eliminated the Jack Adams winning coach this last season in the playoffs with a far superior roster. Without naming who it is, I think people would be ecstatic. I think that would be ecstatic. They'd be ecstatic if that was plan A. Uh, I, I just think this is one of these things where Barry Trotz, they were shooting for the stars as high as you could possibly go. That didn't happen, but no one got him. And I think anyone who came afterwards was going to feel a little bit sullied in fans' eyes. They shouldn't feel this way. This is a phenomenal coach who I think, and we can get to that as we talk here, but I think he kind of comes here with the ability to fix the biggest issues that happen, you know, that this Winnipeg Jets team have. And I think that's off ice. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, we'll talk about some of those moves that could change things up, but it's just as far as the hire goes. What did you think about the two-year deal? Um, you know, listen, when I heard it the first time, I think like many people, the first thing that we thought was maybe Rick Bonus in some ways is somewhat of a placeholder and the team is still holding out hope that Barry Trotz is going to do what he's got to do and come back to coaching, and it might be here. That was my first reaction on the weekend. I certainly don't really feel that way after watching the press conference yesterday. I mean, what did you make about you know where Rick is in his career and the term that the Winnipeg Jets have at least set out to begin this marriage with Bonus as the head coach? 
Well, first, that was my first thought as well. And I don't rule that out. Um, Rick Bonus is 67 years old. Uh, I think that the, the way I think what you see is a, a man who's got a true passion for hockey, loves the game. And wants to, as long as he wants to stay part of the game, he's going to stay part of the game. But I think he's leaving his options open. I mean, a two-year deal tells me maybe two years from now he'll think I may I may want to spend more time with my family, or maybe I don't want all the responsibilities of being a head coach. And this is a guy who said it yesterday. He doesn't, you know, put a lot of stock in the idea that I'm a head coach or an assistant coach or an associate coach. He's kind of okay just coaching. Uh, and, and I think he's shown in the past that he he does enough and gets enough out of his players as an assistant coach that there's probably a lot of, you know, feeling of quality of life that comes out of playing that role if he has to roll into that. So, I mean, if, if Barry Trotz came back next year, said that he wanted to coach, and the Winnipeg Jets had a conversation with Rick Bonus and said, look, I think Barry Trotz wants to come back and coach, and I think he'd like to lock this down for five years. I know we've got you under contract for one more year, but if we were interested in going down that road and locking up something a little bit more long-term, can we, A, have a conversation first to see if you want to do this that long, and if you don't, are you okay with us working on the option of trying to lock down someone for a longer term uh, uh, kind of idea, which we know the Jets love, right? Like they wanted to keep, they wanted Paul Maurice. I, I still think that they, you know, wouldn't have moved on from Paul Maurice if, if he wouldn't have moved on himself. This is a team that likes stability. They like long-term hires. Like I said, Heisinger is proof of that. Uh, Kevin Jeldayoff is proof of that. Paul Maurice was proof of that. Uh, so to have a coach for just two years, um, I think speaks to more to to Rick Bonus's situation and that he is not certain that he wants to be locked down for four or five, six years as much as he wants to just be in a place where he can coach, he can have an effect and see where that takes him two years from now. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you make a great point because, Ren, when, uh, you know, at the beginning of this process, when Bonus stepped down from Dallas and was mentioned as a, you know, potential guy in Winnipeg, it no one was really talking about the head coaching job. It was that no. he would be a great associate or assistant coach and has a great relationship with Barry Trotz, and wouldn't that be a great combination of two guys to come in? Staff. As well oh. as, you know, maybe a younger person to come in before that. So I wouldn't rule out that that's actually been discussed. The one thing that I'll say... Um, I did see an interview with uh, Bobcat and John Shannon talking with Barry Trotz yesterday. And I certainly got the feeling that Barry Trotz might be back coaching sooner as opposed to later. And that could be at some point this season. Now, I kind of have a hard time imagining the Jets going this route with bonus. And then as soon as Barry Trotz is good to go, I mean, having him come in midseason. And that might mean that there's an opportunity ahead of it um, but I'm sure it's something that's been discussed. And I mean, you're called Elliot Friedman discussing just how I can't remember what the, the way he described it. But, um, you know, things got a little crazy in Winnipeg when they got the no from Barry Trotz and where they went um, from that. It would have been fascinating to be behind the scenes and hear what those conversations were like, because we knew that they had put so much into Barry Trotz. And I think that's what everyone expected and wanted them to do. I didn't know. No one's going to give the Jets a hard time for moving on from Barry Trotz too quickly. Um, but it does set up the uh, the conversation that will probably never go away until he's back coaching somewhere in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and I think the one thing about the Barry Trot situation is I, I feel like, and I don't know how you feel about this, Hus, but it feels like the way this shook down is that a whole bunch of teams 
took a run at Barry Trotz, and and then they fell by the wayside, and the Jets were the last team standing. And so I think the feeling that comes from Jets fans is is that Barry Trotz basically said, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks to everybody, and then got to the Jets and was like, oh, I don't know, I, I really want to do this, and then was like, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. I'm not certain that that's the truth. I mean, from what I was hearing when I was down, uh, you know, covering the Stanley Cup final in a lot of different places, what may just have happened was I think I think Barry Trotz went into this and very upfront with everybody said right off the bat, I don't think I'm going to coach next year. And every team said, well, until you make up your mind, here's our pitch. And I think Barry Trotz listened to all those different pitches and said, I appreciate the pitch, but... I still don't think I'm going to coach this year. And I think what happened is most of the other teams said, okay, we're going to move on. Thanks for, thanks for your time. I just think that the Jets didn't move on. I think that the Jets held on to every possible chance that, that Barry Trotz may just say, okay, I'm going to come back. And that's why they may be the last team standing. So I, I guess the, 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 the caution that I would put with all this is when Barry Trotz does come back, I think people are left with the impression that the Jets were the last team standing. So they would be the first team to be revisited by Barry Trotz when he came back. I don't necessarily know that that's 100% truthful uh, and that there wouldn't be other options that he would be looking for or other fits that he would think were maybe a better fit than that. So I, I, I would say that there should be caution with people when they talk about Barry Trotz, thinking that when he does come back, things are going to pick up right where they left off and the first option is going to be the winner. Hey, great to see so many people out this afternoon watching us live on YouTube. If you haven't already, folks, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and uh, give a thumbs up to the uh, episode. Always helps us spread the channel. And, of course, you can check out Kenny and Rennie as well and give them a sub um, and go back to check out their conversation with the new head coach yesterday afternoon. We're looking forward to having bonus on probably next week after the draft heading into free agency. Uh, but what do you think? How did you enjoy the conversation? I'm really impressed with his energy, the positivity. I think that is something that I think will bode well for a team that probably needs some of that considering what we saw last year. But uh, what did you make of your time talking with the new coach? I mean, I've I've spoken with him before uh, in covering him down south. I've spoken with uh, players who talk, uh, who who uh, talk about him, who have been coached by him. This is a guy everybody loves. But what stands out to me, Huss, more than anything, is he talked about it quite a bit yesterday. This is a guy who holds people accountable. And quite often those two things don't go together. That coach that is always on you and, you know, preaching accountability. You think of a guy like Ken Hitchcock, right, who is always, always hammering home accountability. And that can create a lot of problems with your players, right? You know, it's hard to have someone come up to you and say, you know what, You're, you're, you're not good enough. You need to be better. You're not doing enough. Um, you know, pointing out all the warts in your game, pointing out your lack of effort on nights where in, you know, in an 82 season grind, you know, sometimes you think you deserve nights off or whatever. That The thing that blows me away about Rick Bonus is the one thing I've heard time and time again with him is he demands accountability and you are not going to get away with not being accountable when you play for Rick Bonus. And yet, you know what? Listen, Huss, I don't know if you heard that thing that was on the internet about uh, Tyler Sagan talking about Rick Bonus, and you could hear the ache in him that he'd left and that he'd lost that coach. And you can imagine a player like Tyler Sagan would have been held accountable and would have had, you know, like both barrels turned on him by Rick Bonus on a number of occasions and still feels that way about 
uh, about this coach. I think, you know, and this is what I was alluding to when we first started talking. I think um, when he talked yesterday and said, uh, when Paul Friesen asked him a great question about how he handles star players who aren't being accountable, he said, if you're not being accountable, you're going to hear about it from me. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And if you don't do it, then your ice time is going to get cut back. That's the way it's going to be. If you're an offensive player who loves to score, you're not going to have as many opportunities to score because I'm not going to put you on the ice to score. I just think that every Jets fan heard that and thought, well, that's not what's been happening around here the last, you know, five, six, seven years, right? It's pretty obvious that hasn't been happening in Winnipeg. So, when we talk about what needs fixing most in Winnipeg, I still think there needs to be roster tinkering. I think the people who think that Rick Bonus is walking in and taking this team to the Stanley Cup final needs to take a look at the two teams that just played in the Stanley Cup final, look at their rosters, and give your head a little bit of a shake. There's more that needs to be done here. But I do think Rick Bonus can get the most out of this roster as it exists. And I do think that Rick Bonus can bring an accountability to this Jets team and this Jets locker room that it sure looks like from the conversations that the players were having in the media out loud, it sure looks like that accountability has been missed. Well, I, there's no doubt about it. And I think that was music to uh, any fans ears. And I'll be honest, I think the majority of the players in that locker room wanted to hear that as well. The question yes. from Freezer, we all knew who he was talking about. I mean, it was Mark Shifley and that situation's very interesting considering, you know, we heard guys like Drager earlier this summer saying he doesn't see a scenario where Shifley is back. It sounds like it's done a 180 right now. And I mean, certainly yeah. some of that could be um, very much tied into the uncertainty of Pierre-Luc Dubois' long-term future here in Winnipeg. Yeah. But I do wonder, Shifley's situation coming back to the team with a brand new head coach and potentially with a new captain if Blake Wheeler moves on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, here's here's the deal, and I think that uh, Rick Bonus is. I don't think he's a guy who ever blows smoke. I think everything that he says, he's got con. He's confident enough in himself to point out the problems that exist because he knows he's going to work on those problems and he has confidence over the course of his career that when he goes to work on problems, he fixes problems. So I, I don't think he's blowing smoke when he says this. And he talked about Mark Shifley. And the reason that he believes that they can do well and turn things around in Winnipeg is because at the heart of it, Mark Shifley wants to succeed and he wants to win. And I, that's the carrot that that Rick Bonus is going to dangle here. He's going to walk in. He's going to say, remember how much it sucked last year to miss the playoffs and to kind of be lost and to, you know, all these conversations that you guys had in the media and talked about, like, you need more accountability and, and, and it's never too early to work on your room. We're going to put all that behind us. We're going to get this room harmonious and we're going to work towards something. And, and we're going to be better and we're going to take the biggest stab that we can at winning. And I don't think that that's a hard sell for players. Now, the hard sell may come when in the execution of getting there, you need to give me more in this area. And if you're not giving me more, well, sorry, that's the end of the bench. You're going to have to sit there for a while. I mean, I'm not saying that there's going to be bumps and, and bruises uh, and bruised egos along the way here. I fully expect that there will be. Uh, but uh, I do think that it's, it's, it's a, a scenario under which if someone is going to reach these players while they are in Winnipeg, I don't know that you could have gone out and got a better hire. I mean, that's the interesting part about this high side. Take a look at all the guys who got 
you know, who moved and got different jobs around. And I don't know how many of them I would put higher on the list as tackling the exact issue that the Winnipeg Jets have. I mean, if you would have brought in John Tortorella, who we all heard uh, um, interviewed with the team here and who I heard kind of gave it, came in and gave it a little bit to the team. It was almost like it was the reverse. It was almost like the Jets were the ones being interviewed and got a bit of a dressing down from what I heard, which is hilarious, but it kind of matches with Chevy saying like, boy, oh boy, there's a guy who walks in and like leaves an impression on a roof. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, if he came in, it was going to be a my way or the highway kind of situation. And we already saw how Line responded to that. We've seen how Pierre-Luc Dubois responded to that in the past. I mean, his his way of doing things is a my way or the highway. You're getting on board or you're, you're, you're not getting much from me. And it rubs people the wrong way. And sometimes it, it ends up in people moving out of town. I think Rick Bonus, if you see where he's gone, there's not a lot of situations in which Rick Bonus goes somewhere and tries to turn a room around and ends up pushing guys out of that room. He's able to keep guys within that room and work within that room to elevate things. And I, th I think that that's what the Jets want. And I, I know, Huss, we've, we're talking about, you know, the potential for uh, for Wheeler to be moved. But at the heart of it, I still think that Mark, or Kevin Sheveldayoff believes in the group that he's put together. And he would feel so much redemption if a coach came in and got this roster to show what it's capable of. Because it would just, you know, everyone wants to feel as though their their work has been affirmed. And I feel like Sheveldayoff would feel his work was affirmed if he kept this uh, for the most part, kept this core and had a coach come in and get them working. Well, I'll say one thing uh, for Shifley. At least he took the call and answered the phone. Um, like, yeah. I, I had to laugh. I mean, that was the one. I mean, it was like a 10-second soundbite. But, I mean, Judy Owen asking if he talked to the captain, Blake Wheeler. And he says, oh, yeah, I called him, left a message, got a text back, and I'll be talking to him at some point. Um yeah. That that was that, that that more than anything we've heard about trade rumors or Frank Cervelli putting Wheeler on his trade bait list. Um, that to me said that okay, maybe this uh, a, a divorce, if you will, from the longtime captain is uh, is in the mix. So, what do you make of that? And what do you think a trade for Blake Wheeler looks like? Um, because of course, there's the age, there's the contract, more impactful than anything. I mean, he's still been a productive player. Um, but there's not a lot of teams that can just seamlessly add eight and a half million to the books. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It, it is weird. And then we, we should probably coach this by saying, you know, I've been in situations before where there's been like really important phone calls that I need to take. And I haven't been able to take them because I've got the kids or something is going on. So I think we should all just like give a little bit of space. We didn't find out how long ago Rick Bonus's efforts to reach out to, to Blake Wheeler were. Uh, so, so, I think that we should we should reserve judgment, but at the same time, my God, it sure does sound strange. I mean, as the captain of the Winnipeg Jets, you would think it would be you know high, high, high up on his list of responsibilities as for for his work, which pays him really, really well. Um, to you know, like as the captain answering that phone call sounds like one of your duties, right? Getting to that phone call as quick as you can sounds like one of your duties as a captain and a, a high-paid employee of an organization. Uh, if 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 there's no excuse for him not getting to the phone, then yeah, that's red flags popping up left, right, and center. That's a forest of red flags all popping up at the same time. But um, as far as a trade, I mean. I don't know. I, I've seen some lists come out 
Um, you know, so one of them had the Montreal Canadiens on it. I couldn't believe that. I mean, this is a team that looks to be trying to shed money and get, you know, rid of, uh, you know, rebuild and start young. Uh, so I don't even know how he ends up on that list unless someone knows something that I don't know. Uh, I know that a lot of people have been jumping to me right away saying, do you think Paul Maurice is going to be, uh, you know, trying to bring him in there? To, and I just think, well, my goodness, this is a team that already has a big contract uh, in Sergei Bobrovsky that they probably love to get rid of. I don't know how much the Jets would keep it. I couldn't see them wanting to bring him in. I mean, this is a room that Paul Maurice essentially left, right? Like he left this room. He said he thought they needed a new voice. It sounds like there was a little bit of burnout, but that burnout lasted as long as it took for him to get a really good opportunity, which he jumped on. Right away, as soon as he had that opportunity, I cannot see a world in which he would be reaching out and saying, let's grab the captain from the room that I needed to leave because no one was listening to me anymore and bring that captain into this team here. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I see it as being a situation in which the Jets are going to have to uh you know, it, they could maybe get something back if they swallowed a bunch of the salary. If they don't want to swallow a bunch of the salary, they're going to have to give, you know, a player like, in my estimation, a player like Vilja Hainala or someone like that. Mm. You're going to have to pay someone in assets to take on that contract. Uh, because as good as Blake Wheeler is, um, you know, there's two years left on that contract. It's a lot of money. I would suggest there's not a lot of... Players around the league, or excuse me, teams around the league, who look at that contract and say Blake Wheeler is fully fulfilling an eight point two five million dollar contract, especially when you compare them to the players around the league who would be making that kind of money. So I, I don't see a lot of, in my in my opinion, I don't see a ton of suitors. I think you've got a limited amount of teams to work with, teams that are basically going to be taking on that money for assets. So you better start taking a look at the assets that you're willing to get rid of, if that's the case. But Again, to start to finish where we started, if Blake Wheeler is not taking that phone call because this is the kind of where this situation is, that, that's an untenuous situation. And you better start taking stock of those assets because you can't have that sitting around the room if that's the situation. As well. No, for sure. And, and I think everyone realized that there needed to be some sort of change, presumably to that leadership core. Many people thought that it would be Mark Shifley. If that's not happening, I think all signs point to potentially Wheeler moving on, but I mean, with you, and, and I don't think for a second the Jets would be willing to give up a Vili Hainala to get Blake Wheeler off the books. I mean, you know, listen, there might be some addition by subtraction when it comes to the locker room and enabling some of the young players to truly become those leaders that, you know, they seem to have been ready for. But I also, for a team that has drafted and developed the way that, you know, their mantra is, I have a hard time seeing them punting on Vili Hainala before he's been given a legitimate shot to be an everyday player in the National Hockey League. And that's why I think if Wheeler is traded, it's probably far more likely that they hold their nose and eat a significant portion of the salary and try and get back, whether it's some picks, something else for them. Um, and they'll eat it on the salary side of things, not on the asset side of things. Yeah. And, and you know what? One thought just did occur to me. I mean, the the, the kind of question mark in all of this is Pierre-Luc Dubois and if there's going to be some kind of move made. Now, the Montreal thing would maybe make sense, you know, if they had the room uh, to fit both those players. If you can get Pierre-Luc Dubois now uh, and and uh, um, 
the cost for doing that, if you, you know, because I think that we, we all think that Pierre Dubois, Montreal is sniffing around him and would be interested in having him. If you can get him and sign him long term, and that's the future that you get, if the cost for that is taking on another contract uh, of a player who, who still is producing offensively uh, and, uh, you know, uh, only has two years more on the books for you to deal with, that would, I could see a potential scenario by which that would happen, you know, especially after they've moved uh, Shea Weber's money off the books the way that they have. So I, I, I'm revisiting it. That kind of popped into my head as you were talking, but yeah, yeah, I can um, see that. Uh, Red, well, you know, listen, I know that the uh, management and um, everyone's on their way to Montreal. You've got the general manager's meetings tomorrow. The first round of the draft is Thursday night. This is traditionally the time when deals get made. Um, how many deals, how many players from last year's team do you think might be no longer property of the Jets once we get to next week? Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if if you know RFA's like uh, or, or sorry UFA's like Sanford Walk. Um, I, I I do think the Jets need to to put some work into their bottom six. Uh, so I mean, I could see them doing something like that. I could see them making room uh, on the back end. But I I've I've always been one to say this, and, and you know I, I've said this, and I'm probably going to get burnt because most people are saying something else. But I've said since the beginning, I didn't think Shifley was going anywhere, and I do think that the Jets fielded some phone calls or or you know had some conversations about Mark Shifley, and I just don't think you can get back what you need from Mark Shifley without a you know, punting on your on your present and saying, well, give us a bunch of futures uh, or be trying to win that trade through volume, because I don't think anyone is looking and saying, OK, like St. Louis isn't looking and saying, OK, we'll give you Ryan O'Reilly and you give us Mark Shifley. That's not what's happening. The play, teams aren't out there looking. So I think that becomes a hard trade to make. So um I like I think the issues that we've been talking about are right at the core for the Winnipeg Jets, the, the Pierre-Luc Dubois, the, the Mark Shifley's, the, the Blake Wheelers. And those core pieces are hard to move, whether it's money, that's an issue or whether it's getting a full return that keeps your team happy and competitive right now. That can be pro- that can be problematic and that can be troublesome. So I I, I don't personally see major roster construction unless they can get someone to take on Blake Wheeler's contract. Uh, and the, 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 the tricky part for them with Pierre-Luc Dubois is Pierre-Luc Dubois has got time. I mean, he's going to get paid this year regardless based on, you know, his arbitration rights. He's going to get a good contract that I don't think is going to be that far below what he'd get on the open market. So it's, it's, he can wait and be patient. And the team that thinks they're going to get him an unrestricted free agency can wait and be patient as well, especially if it's a team like the Montreal Canadiens who aren't in win now mode. So I think it makes it hard to move Pierre Dubois and get something back. And let's not forget for a second, every fan out there knows who was traded to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. So the end result of whatever the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade is going to be will be you traded Patrick Laine and everything that he did while he was in Winnipeg for that. And people aren't going to forget that. So that's a sensitive trade to try and make. So it's a long way of me saying, I don't think the moves that the Jets are going to have to make are easy to make. And I think it's tempting to come back with a lot of what you had last year and take a look and see what Rick Bonus is able to do with that. No, you make a great point, Sean. And I mean, I remember saying at the time of the deal, and listen, I mean, I still hate the fact that Line A got traded and whatever. I mean, that's a whole nother discussion of how they got yeah. there and, you know, whether they traded the wrong guy. But 
the bottom line is when they traded Patrick Line for the return, I think I said a number of times on this show, this will be an unmitigated disaster if they don't get this player to commit long-term to Winnipeg. Now, maybe that's a little harsh because, again, no. you can you – can, like if they make a, a killer deal for the guy and it helps the team long-term, I guess it could be salvageable. But yeah. to most people following the team, you trade Patrick Line for a guy that wants to leave town at his first possible exit – that's terrible for the Winnipeg Disastrous. Jets, and and maybe more so for all the things that people will give the GM a hard time about. That that will stand above everything else. Well, and here's the interesting thing: this is the one thing that I always, you know, I when Patrick Laine was sent out of town, you almost felt from Kevin Chevel day off and from Maurice and and uh, 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 Blake Wheeler. There was almost a bit, and maybe I'm reading into this too much, but it almost felt like there was a bit of a good riddance kind of feeling with them. And I just, I never understood that because this was a guy who wanted to stay in Winnipeg long term, right? And I think that this, to me, Huss, is the most interesting part about this. If if uh, Rick Bonus goes into this room and is able to kind of correct this room and fix the things that have been festering in that room for a really long time, the one thought in my mind is going to be, what if that move was made? What if Rick Bonus had taken over this room back when Patrick Laine was still here? And what if you fix that issue before it festered to the point that you needed to move him out of town? Because, you know, the, the, your, your point is, is, is sound. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to leave town, or at this moment says he's want, essentially has said he wants to leave town at the first possible opportunity. Patrick Laine was here scoring goals, delighting the fans, uh, being his unique, quirky self, which I think, you know, caused some problems. But at the same time, maybe you got to embrace what the, the player is. But the fact that he wanted to be here long term and could have had a long term career in Winnipeg, scoring the goals and having that shot that we got to watch night after night after night. If you had the coach in place who is able to bridge whatever gaps existed in that locker room, boy, oh boy, that's a hard pill to swallow. You know what? It's a great point. I mean, if the, if we're having this conversation about a new head coach coming in at the end of the 2019 season before everything went sideways and we all know what happened in 2020, um, you know, I think you're exactly right. I think things will uh, things will be significantly different. Hey, just back before we finish up, I mean, we were talking, we spent a lot of time talking about the big pieces forward-wise. Um, do you think a defenseman will get moved uh, over the course of this week? I mean, I would think that it, it they have to move at least one of the veterans at some point if you're planning on having Dylan Sandberg and Billy Hainel get a shot this season. Yeah, they, they can't they can't keep sitting on on the assets that they have. So I mean, you know what I I know a lot of people, and, and you're right, it's a draft and develop team, so they're not the kind of team that likes to move draft picks out. But I'll say this: like, if you're not going to use the draft picks you have, and you're just going to sit them in the, and, and not sit them, but have them play in the AHL, then move them for what you need at the NHL level, and have confidence that you'll keep drafting behind them and kind of filling the coverage up behind them. Um, but to your point, I mean, if if the if the Jets want to see those players in Jets jerseys, they not need to start clearing the deck for them. So I could see exactly that happening. You know, we heard news of, of a number of players, you know, afterwards, some players on that Jets back end who had said they'd be okay with the trade around the trade deadline didn't happen because the team still wanted to take a stab at the playoffs, which, I mean, think what you will of that. I thought it was a mistake at the time, but it's the decision they made. But yeah, I mean, you need to start clearing the deck and moving uh, players onto that back end and giving them a, a, a place to shine. So uh, I, I could see I, I could see moves being made, no doubt. 
uh, it's going to be an interesting draft. I'm glad Kenny's found a way to make it there. Uh, he's there right now. Uh, and I'll be there with him tomorrow in Montreal. I'm glad he found a way to make it there because I think there's a chance we could be busy tomorrow talking about the Jets. Well, no doubt. And hopefully, yeah, he'll have boots on the ground because who knows how long the flights are going to take with what's happening with air travel. <laughs> yeah. I hope all the first-round prospects can actually get there in time to hear their names called on Thursday night. Wouldn't that be a disaster if uh, you know you have a bunch of canceled flights? Uh, this has yeah. been awesome. Well, Johnny, um, of course, yesterday, con- uh, Rick Bonus on KNR. Check out the uh, the YouTube channel for that. Um, fill us in on uh, what you've got going on this week. Of course, GM meetings, and we'll hear from Kevin Chevaldeoff, and then see what happens on Thursday and Friday, and you guys will be all over it for Sportsnet, I take it? Yeah, you bet. Uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, that's our jobs. we got to hop on that. But we're going to have a Kenny and Rennie tonight uh, with um, with Sammy Cosentino. I don't have a time hammer down. I can't, can't actually call it while I was on here, probably to give me the time. But um, we're going to, you know, kind of drill into the draft and see the possibilities that exist there for where the Jets sit and, you know, some of the other more interesting storylines. And then we're just going to get talking Jets for the rest of the week. I think we're going to have four shows in total. So we're going to start up the Kenny and Rennie machine again here, uh, hopefully supplement some of the stuff that you guys do. Again, uh, we always appreciate the traffic you send to us, and we always see the massive bump in our show when we go on after you at 3 o'clock and uh, you send uh, your crowd our way. We always appreciate that. It means hey, to us. the pleasure is all ours. Uh, of course, we love the content, and uh, the more the better right now in Winnipeg with so much to talk about uh, this Winnipeg Jets team. Uh, folks, Hit that subscribe button here as well as over at Kenny and Rennie. I think this is a good time to remember, turn your notifications on so when the guys go live tonight, you'll get a notification. You can jump in and get ready for the draft with the boys and Sam Cosentino. Rendog, thanks for doing this, man. Have a great week, and uh, maybe we can catch up next week in the aftermath of what is expected to be a pretty impactful week for the Winnipeg Jets. I would love to. Let's do it. Appreciate it, pal. There he is, Sean Reynolds. You can follow him on Twitter at SN Sean Reynolds. And uh, again, keep an eye out for a special draft edition of KR a little bit later on today on their YouTube channel. All right, Murata Tesh is coming up from Montreal in just a couple minutes. Um, hey, our friends at Manitoba Battery is the home of the $99 Deep Cycle Battery. You won't find anyone in town that can compete with that price, whether it's for the camper, boat, your solar system, or anything else. You'll get the best price and the best service from the guys and guiles down at Manitoba Battery. Plus, not only you're going to get the best price, but you're going to save yourself a ton of time because they're going to bring the battery to your door at no extra cost when you live inside the perimeter. And for you folks that may live a little outside the city, but within the Winnipeg area, they'll still bring it to you for a small additional fee. Forget the big box stores when it comes to battery. Shop local, get a better price, and enjoy the convenience and service that Manitoba Battery has to offer. Hit them up online at Manitoba Battery. Battery.com or go visit the team in the coolest JetBlue building in Winnipeg at 1026 Logan Avenue, open 8 to 6 daily. Uh, I had a great time yesterday talking with uh, Greg from Royal Sports uh, about the upcoming summer. I know we spent a lot of time talking about all the great Jets gear, bomber gear, and merchandise that they have. Uh, but this is the time to be getting outside. They've got an expanded fitness section. Uh, tons of racket sports, tennis, and more. And of course, disc golf. If you haven't tried it, you'll have a heck of a lot of fun doing it. And they have a ton of discs and equipment that have come in over the last few weeks to help you dominate summer. Of course, softball, baseball, and more. And of course, a huge selection of bikes. Royal Sports really does have it all. Pop on down to the Superstore, 750 Pemina Highway, and check them out online at Royal Sports Pemina. 
on Instagram, of course, and uh, we have the latest news on merchandise drops, sales, and of course, a big tent sale coming up after Labor Day as well. And our friends at Culligan Water continue to be the leaders in the water game, locally owned and celebrating over 65 years in business. They've got water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Culligan Water, 1200 Sergeant 6941180 and online at drinkculligan.com. Um, big weekend in golf heading into the Open Championship the following week. Scottish Open, I believe 14 of the top 15 players in the world are there. And some really interesting comments today from Billy Horschel on some of the players that have defected to live golf. That story is not going away anytime soon. Uh, but the focus of the golf world will be overseas. Of course, the Barbasol as well. We'll actually hit that on the lock shop tomorrow. Of course, when we talk golf on the program, we do it for our friends at Breezy Bend, one of Manitoba's top private clubs. If you're looking for a long-term home for you and your family on an amazing golf course with a great social scene and programs for all members of the family, Breezy Bend's the spot. Give them a call. Talk to our friend Corey Johnson of getting on the waiting list for next year or find out more online at breezybend.ca. All right. It's draft week. Marat Atesh has boots on the ground in Montreal, and we have a lot to talk to with Marat. Let's welcome him in now. What's going on? How are the How are your travels out east? Hey, travels have gone really smoothly. Um, this is the my nephew's taking a nap edition of my guest spots on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I just learned that I don't know enough bedtime songs. So we've started off a little bit on the weak side. We're going to up our game. And, of course, we're going to make it all about the Winnipeg Jets. I'm checking into the hotel in just a couple hours' time to join all of my The Athletic colleagues and get this thing underway. i got to tell you, you sound great. I mean, you could do, uh, record an album of children's songs with that mic you've got going on, Marat. It uh, looks good. Beautiful Canada <laughs> flag outside. Um and of course, I imagine there's a real buzz in Montreal about this draft. I mean, the draft's always exciting for all member clubs. But when you think about what the Habs have been through over the course of the last 12 months, picking number one overall, you know, still, I think, some intrigue as to who goes number one after we just assumed that Shane Wright's been the guy for a long time. Um, outside of our main focus on the Winnipeg Jets, this is uh, always an exciting time, but I imagine there's a real buzz for uh, Thursday's festivities already in uh, in Montreal. Yeah, it's the sort of atmosphere that you that you get at playoff time, right? Where all the buses would say "Go Jets, Go" or "Go Habs, Go" or whatever the city is. You know, I, I got my haircut. You can't tell because I didn't chop much of it off earlier today. But everybody in the city is basically talking about what an opportunity it is for Montreal to draft number one overall in front of their fans, to have other important picks as well, new management in place. You know, these are one of the this is a situation where things have really aligned, I think, for the Canadians to try to transform their their organization, move past the carry price era if they need to, uh, accelerate their rebuild if they need to do that as well. I mean, there's a sense that behind or soon to be in front of Nick Suzuki and otherwise Cole Caulfield and the rest, that Montreal might be able to compete for the playoffs soon, whether that's Shane Wright or Slavkovsky or, uh, you know, as of yet to be unseen fireworks uh, from that organization with all eyes on them right now. Yeah, I mean, it will be fascinating. We've heard that um, uh, their general manager might try and get another top 10 pick and really make a splash, but it's a pretty good starting point with uh, the number one first pick overall. Um, listen, we'll get back to the draft from a Jet perspective in a minute, but... Of course, we got to start off with the big news, uh, of course, that happened on Canada Day when everyone was off the grid. 
Rick Bonus, as uh, reported by Darren Drager, officially announced on Sunday as the head coach introduced yesterday, is the new guy behind the bench. Um, what what was your first reaction when you heard Rick Bonus? Because I don't know about you, I really caught me off guard considering many of the names that most of the insiders had been throwing out that were sort of down to the final choices for Winnipeg. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I feel like I have been fairly close to a lot of the discussion around the Winnipeg Jets head coaching search. And despite that, Rick Bonus's name was a surprise to me on Friday morning. Um, I had even previously, I think it was Thursday when Kevin Weeks was talking about Rick Tockett as a front runner. I had also heard about Rick Tockett as a front runner, and I was tweeting about that as a possibility um, as late as Thursday. But the interesting thing um, is that after I tweeted that, one of my sources said, you know what, maybe back off on the Rick Tockett thing. I'm not sure that it's 100% going to be him. Um, and then that sort of perked my ears. I wasn't able to get any sort of clarity on who else it might have been because, of course, you know, um, by then Jim Montgomery was off the board, but we'd heard some other names. You always wonder if, you know, Pascal Vincent, all, all these other sorts of things as well. Rick Tockett, of course. And then Rick Bonus, which seems to make all kinds of sense in hindsight with connections to the organization, familiarity with the coaching staff, including Scott Arneal being brought on board. There is a lot of different things that sort of make him and Winnipeg sing, at least from an organizational familiarity point of view. I have to be honest, I was stunned. I didn't know his, I didn't know that was going to happen whatsoever. Now, you've got an extensive piece in The Athletic, folks. Uh, a, you should be subscribing and checking out all of Marat's work over there. It's what Winnipeg Jets are getting, and Rick Bonus is the next head coach. I'll tell you one thing, certainly a guy that is phenomenal in front of a microphone. I think, um, you know, it just goes to show the reputation he's, he had has been well-earned as one of the true class acts in the National Hockey League. He was charming yesterday. I think he said a lot of the right things um, to fans that were on the fence. Um, but you've d- dug into this quite a bit. Um We'll just get right to it. What are the Jets getting in this head coach? And, um, you know, where's your level of optimism that some of the things that plagued the Jets last season in that disappointing year can turn around under the 67-year-old? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's almost impossible to talk about him without referencing his age, 67 years old. He's not, you know, an old-sounding person to speak to. He doesn't sound like hockey has passed him by or anything like that. He's certainly an articulate speaker, an energized guy. He, you know, talks about... Um, playing a modern, more difficult to play against game and all sorts of stuff. I was able to stream most of that press conference and then follow it afterwards while I was on uh, an airplane to here in Montreal. Um, Certainly an articulate speaker. And what we've been talking about all along is what does Winnipeg need the most? It needs a sense of accountability. It needs a sense of buy-in. You know, there have been some criticisms of why would you need a veteran coach or perhaps the most veteran coach if you count all of his assistant coaching gigs. I believe he stood behind an NHL bench for more games than any other coach in National Hockey League history. Um, But I don't think you can walk into the Winnipeg Jets room right now as a green rookie, no matter how brilliant you are, and turn things all of the way around. So I think that's going to be, you know, an important presence for him. In terms of actual resume, you know, that's what the piece uh, that you're referencing does at The Athletic. It goes through what he did in Dallas. And there's a couple of key things that stand out in contrast to what Winnipeg has done in the last few years and a couple of things that are going to be quite familiar. One. Well-spoken, articulate quote who gives great quotes uh, no matter what's going on on the ice. That reminds me of Paul Maurice. Um, The other thing is Dallas relied really, 
really heavily on a top six and bottom six formation with the checking line built uh, very veteran heavy around Radic Faxa on that third line, even when they were getting outshot, even when they were getting outscored, even when it wasn't going well. So Adam Lowry, congratulations, step right up. Mason Appleton as well. I'm sure your job is going to be a tough minutes uh, checking line next season. But there's some nice things, too. In Winnipeg, we're used to seeing Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and others well over 20 minutes, all situation minutes. Maybe I've heard other teams, people on other teams tell me the game plan against Winnipeg. Wait till those guys get tired. They'll make a mistake. They'll miss a defensive assignment. We'll, we'll roll. And, well, you know, Rick Bonus's teams have kept a tight minute spread between 10 and 20 minutes. Nobody's below 10. Nobody's uh, above 20. And that's kind of an encouraging sign from the from the forward group that you're probably going to see ice time measured with performance, ice time sort of uh, a little bit more of an active fourth line and a little bit less over-dependence on the absolute top guys. The other positive thing I can say, Hus, is, I mean, he trusted a 22-year-old young defenseman to lead that entire team in minutes played last season and even before i mean miro heiskanen uh who we know villa hanala is a huge fan of he said that he admires the way he plays no fear has led that defense core for the last few years and that happened under veteran coach rick bonus so it's possible that if you're a young mobile defenseman transition heavy modern style uh, uh, of play that if you do things the way Rick Bonas asks, you may, you know, as a young player, despite the veteran coach, think that your odds of minutes next season just went up a little bit. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, I mean, that has been, you know, one of the things I think we spent quite a bit of time talking about since it was announced that Rick is the head, new head coach is the work that he did in Dallas. I mean, you know, the run to the cup final uh, in 2020 was crazy. And then, I mean, the last time we saw him behind the bench, they were pushing the Calgary Flames to overtime in Game 7. Listen, their goaltender had a big part of it as well. But, I mean, we knew. I mean, everyone thought that was going to be a sweep, and it was uh, it was far from it. But when you look, and, I mean, maybe we'll start with Vili Hainala. Is he one of these guys? But who, on paper, do you think are the winners with this changeover to Rick Bonus? And, you know, who maybe projects to have a more legitimate opportunity to take their game and their role to the next level? I think young defensemen like Ville Hainala, Dylan Sandberg, certainly that's possible. And not just from him, but, you know, um, I'm hearing Nolan Baumgartner is a possibility for D coach. He balanced the minutes between young and old, no matter who your what your resume was or how, uh, how high you were paid in Vancouver. Um, there was a, a real sense that young players could be trusted, especially on the blue line there. I think that's encouraging. I think young forwards, perhaps even like Cole Perfetti, that would be encouraging for them. I don't think big minutes are disappearing for your Mark Shifley's and Kyle Connors of the world, and they shouldn't. Um, Kyle Connor, obviously 93 points last season. He did play over 21 minutes per night on average all situations because he played power play and PK as well. You might see that clawed back a little bit, a little bit more... Uh, close to that 20-minute mark. And I wouldn't necessarily look at that as as an enormous loss, depending on what leverage situations those would be. Adam Lowry, like I say, his minutes are going up. The interesting thing, too, is the the real attention to context that Rick Bonus uses when he allots his minutes. You know, a team that's down by one would roll its three most heavy offensive players. Uh, you know, you could see a, a reunion. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers I see as the three most offensive players. Perhaps Pierre-Luc Dubois and on a given night. You're going to see offensive players in offensive roles and then say the Jets are looking to protect the lead. You're going to see a very, very, very different lineup and, and probably those minutes scale back and you see more Lowry and all of that sort of stuff so that's uh 
other than maybe an, an over-reliance on top six, bottom six, it looks like some smart, smart bench management from Rick Bonus the last few years. Well, let's get to Shifley because his, I mean, his situation is so tied to, you know, this team going forward. I mean, he has been a franchise player for this team. And, you know, up until recently, I certainly was of the opinion it was highly unlikely he would be back. Um, it sounds like that is not the case. Uh, he took the call from Rick Bonus. Uh, apparently had a nice chat. Um, how much do you think Shifley's situation, the apparent want to try and work this out and bring him back, in your mind, is tied to the uncertainty about the future of Pierre-Luc Dubois? That's where I see it, because sort of the same time that we were hearing a change in tone from the Winnipeg Jets or, you know, the Winnipeg Jets were never saying we're absolutely trading Mark Shifley. In fact, um, I believe that Shovel Day off told NHL.com, no, we're not actively looking to shop him or no, he didn't request a trade in his exit interview. At the same time, my understanding of that exit interview was that it was heated, that there was, you know, there was some emotion to it as well. Um, and that it, you know, that. It was not a particularly happy time at that end of the season. But then by the time you hear about Pierre-Luc Dubois' likelihood of testing unrestricted free agency two years from now, um, and you really start to get the sense that Mark Scheifele becomes an extremely important player, that's when the verbal changed to me. That's when I think the tone coming from the Winnipeg Jets changed. And that makes Scheifele, you know, one of Rick Bonus's most important first calls Glad that they had that connection, and certainly it would bode well for Jets fans that Bonus told reporters in Winnipeg yesterday that Shifley is all in because he needs to be. We might see transformation or turnover in the form of a Blake Wheeler move. I still think that's possible, but Shifley, with an uncertain future for Pierre-Luc Dubois, is a massively important player for the Winnipeg Jets, and they need him as all in as he can possibly be. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, and and I think... You know, a fresh voice, a guy like Bonus with that sort of experience. And I think the way that he connects with individuals, and he's been doing this for his entire career, probably even more so when he was an assistant coach and an associate coach, and even his time as a head coach. But we know that how things worked out in Dallas. Um, I, I would say this, the opportunity for Scheif to come back with somewhat of a clean slate and be that player that he had been in the past I think is greater with Rick Bonus in the mix than uh, maybe some of the other players. Which brings us to Blake Wheeler. I'm sure you heard yesterday Judy Owen ask uh, if he'd talk to uh, talk to the captain. Said that he called him, left a message, and got a text back, and they would be talking at some point. Um, is Blake Wheeler a Jet next week? You think? Next week, maybe next season. I'm really not thinking that that's the case. I, th- I think this is a situation where player and club are more or less interested in moving on from each other at this at this stage. Um, it. It would be the end of really quite an era. You go back to, I mean, I take it back to that 8.25 million extension, you know, signed after the 2017-18 playoffs, which I considered to be a bet on the franchise's part on Blake Wheeler as a person and as a player to be that that leader who's going to take the Jets to continue deep playoff runs right through 2024 when that and Mark Scheifele and Connor Hellebuck's contracts eventually came to an end as well. That's sort of the bet that the franchise made. And right from, you know, we haven't seen that level of success. We've seen an awful lot of difficulty, and that includes, you know, Dustin Bufflin's departure. I don't think anybody predicted that. All sorts of things. Um, But I don't think things have gone the way that player or club imagined that they would when they signed that particular contract. He's still a contributing player. He's still a useful player. 
but I do get the sense that he would like to move on. He's definitely open to it at bare minimum, and Winnipeg would like to move on as well. And let me just tell you, I mean, anyone, you don't have to be a general manager or a head coach. You give somebody a phone call, get a text back. I mean, that's not the most community. That's like, that's not a date waiting to happen, is it? Like, that's that's uh, that's a gentle rejection coming in your future. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I will hold out the possibility, and it was the 4th of July, maybe they're out off the grid or something like that, but... The bottom line is, I mean, this was announced on, or we knew that it was happening on Friday. I'm sure at that point, the reaching out began. So, you know, once you get to the Monday and there still hasn't been a connection with the captain of the team, I think kind of tells you where things are going to be going. As far as moves, though, this week, I mean, the draft is always a spot, um, you know, where plenty of trades are happening. What's more likely? Um, Or is it both? I mean, potentially a move with the captain um, or... The conversation that we keep going back to, the logjam on the blue line and uh, what defensemen may be traded, um, does it happen this week, I guess? Uh, how significant of, of player moves do you think we might see heading into Thursday and over the course of the weekend? Well, you know, this is when moves happen, and it just makes sense. GMs are in a room together. They're having those communications in an accelerated fashion. Draft picks can be on the table. It's a time where there's plenty of time to sort out the salary cap. It's a really flexible time with communication. Moves can and will happen. Does that automatically mean Winnipeg will make its two that we're sort of forecasting? Because I am hearing that Blake Wheeler is not likely to be a Winnipeg Jet next year. I'm not sure that that happens. It could well happen this week. And then the other one that you mentioned, a defenseman, you know what, the sense that I get, the the more that I put things together here, it's to me, the most likely candidate is Brendan Dillon to be moved. Uh, he's somebody who I've heard interest from, from other teams. Um, he's also on the left side, which is a little bit more crowded. And his cap hit at 3.9 million is a little bit more palatable for other teams. I think you look at some of the other veterans, you know, Nate Schmidt, that contract's going to be too expensive for other teams to take on. Um, Dylan DeMello, for example, as well, playing on the right side with Josh Morrissey. It's harder to move those players. I think that Brendan Dillon is going to be the one. And then it depends on what Winnipeg looks for in return. Are they looking for an extra pick and maybe they can use picks in, in player transactions? Well, then we could see that happen, you know, this coming week. Um, but these are not these are not moves with a draft deadline. They may be moves with a free agency period deadline as teams get sorted out in terms of what their rosters are going to look like for sure next year. Well, and of course, free agency coming up next week. And I think that is when we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the ads to the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure whether they will be big game hunters or being on any of the top players up front. And one thing benefit benefiting Shovel Day off and the Jets, I think from a training defense aspect is the fact that the defense UFA pool isn't particularly strong. So maybe that gives them a better opportunity to do it. Uh, I would. Do you think we'll see two defensemen move this, this summer, or do you think it'll just be one? You know, I'm leaning one. Um, I, I really am, because on the, on the account of injuries happening, on the account of, you know, um, the fact that Hanel and Sandberg are each still waivers exempt, you can send them to the moose if, if, you need to because everybody's healthy or if their performance doesn't match what it has been in the past, that gives, you know, a safety net. You do have to bring up Jonathan Kovacevic, I believe, unless you're going to try to pass him through waivers because his exemption just ran out. I think that would Kovacevic would be a great six or seven guy. Um, I do think it seems to me to be more Winnipeg Jets to move the one veteran and one veteran only. Uh, it would I would be surprised and I would be really intrigued by their plans for young defensemen next year if we see two of them moved. Well, and, and, and you know, this gets 
in some ways, this gets back to the Wheeler talk because, you know, there has been discussions that the Winnipeg Jets, you know, might give up an asset to move the entire contract off the books. <clears throat> I'm of the opinion that it's far more likely that if they have to do one or the other, they eat a significant part of the salary and try and get some significant return. I think, you know, Wheeler at four and a half or five million is a lot more palatable for a team for the next couple of seasons. And I think it makes that asset come back a little bit more. Um, but the way that that deal is shaped up, the bottom line is, I don't think for a second the Winnipeg Jets are moving on Billy Hanela or trading him to get rid of a contract before he gets a significant opportunity to be a regular in the National Hockey League. And I don't know, I'm certainly of the opinion that with Rick Bonus coming in as the head coach, based on what he did in Dallas, the likelihood of that legitimate opportunity is um, far more probable to happen. Yeah, I agree with all of that, especially if you consider what Kevin Sheveldayoff has said. You know, I've been asking him about Ville Hanela versus uh, the usage of Ville Hanela for about a year and a half now. And, um, you know, as as recently as last summer, you, you'd hear the really distinct difference between what he would say about Hanela and him being the future versus what Paul Maurice would say. And, you know, Paul Maurice would say those players aren't ready. He's not ready. David Gustafson's not ready. Um, at the same time, you'd have Kevin Sheveldayoff selling them as the future and the not too distant future. I think that the organization is ready for those young players to, to take uh, more prominent roles. And because they're capable, or at least will be given the chance to be capable, this isn't a rebuild. This isn't, you know, just because a Blake Wheeler or a Brendan Dillon would be moved and some younger players would get more of an opportunity. I mean, that's not the the dreaded rebuild word. Uh, that's a team trying to remain as competitive as possible. And I'm with you as well, because Blake Wheeler is still a capable hockey player. 8.25 million. No, not a cap efficient contract whatsoever. But he scores a five on five like a middle six player. That's an NHL player. He's not a fourth liner. He's not a power play specialist. He's an actual contributing NHL hockey player. Um, so eating salary, I think, is probably where that that goes. And if an asset needs to be included, I don't think it'll be nearly as substantial as a top prospect. Uh, you know, and I guess I want to tie this back to Nikolai Ehlers and, you know, maybe more of the conversation of guys that have the most to gain under a new voice and a new head coach that, that, that you know, when we look back and you talk about this in the piece, I mean, when Rick Bonus took over, this was Tyler Seguin and Jamie Benn. And when he finished up last season, he was throwing Rupee Hints and Jason Robertson over the boards far more. And at times we saw Jamie Benn playing like 13, 14 minutes a game. Um, I th really do think that Ehlers might stand to benefit the most out of this uh, this move because it's pretty clear that I think Rick's going to come in and have Nikolai Ehlers as being not only a top-line player, but also a guy that finally gets a chance to make an impact regularly on a power play unit. Yeah, you know, and it's astonishing to me because I've written at such length and I detail it in that piece that Nick Ehlers' name wasn't the first one out of my mouth earlier when you asked me that question. I don't think Rick Bonus has been in the business of sitting his best players to, a, or sorry, demoting his best players to a second line plus no power play context for the last little while. Just like the example that you gave, veteran Joe Pavelski comes in, he gets big minutes, but he's delivering in a really 200 foot capacity. And they leaned heavily on that line with him, Robertson, and, and Hintz at, at different times. So with Nikolai Ehlers, I just, I just struggle to think especially in a post-Blake Wheeler world where there's a, another winger job open as well. I just cannot imagine a team looking at him, a Rick Bonus-led staff looking at, at Nikolai Ehlers and not promoting him um, to uh, first-line even strength minutes, which he's flirted with that at different stretches in the past, but also that power play as well. And Huss, let's, let's, let's talk about Ehlers and Wheeler together. Blake Wheeler, 
was one of the world's best. And I mean best, sixth or seventh in the world in even strength point production through the peak of his career when he was making 5.6 million or whatever that number was prior to the 8.25. You know, if you look at his peak years, there were few, and you could think of so many famous names who were on first all-star teams at the end of the year who got awards recognition, all of that sort of stuff. It was you know, almost robbery in my mind, looking back, especially given what we know about possession and how Blake Wheeler drove play in addition to the points um, for so many years. That is criminal. He was underrated in my mind on a league-wide basis. Nikolai Ehlers, over the last three seasons, points per minute of ice time has averaged at a higher scoring rate than Blake Wheeler during the prime of his career. Like, we are at the risk, without that player getting first-line leverage minutes of watching a second straight elite winger get criminally underrated. And that doesn't even touch Kyle Connor, who, of course, that's a Winnipeg thing, not getting a league-wide acclaim. We know Kyle Connor gets the minutes and generates the offense here, but Nikolai Ehlers isn't getting necessarily any of that right now. And I think he does have the most room to grow, and I'd be stunned. I'd be absolutely stunned if Bonus doesn't recognize that. Uh, and one other guy I think we should probably mention is Connor Hellebuck. Um, because, I mean, the one thing we've talked a lot about accountability and a lot of that comes back to defensive responsibility and aptitude. And, um, man, we saw it in games against the Winnipeg Jets and we certainly saw it against the Calgary Flames in the playoffs that Bones has been able to get his players to buy in and be committed to the defense. And, listen, that it will be a very good thing for number 37, who, to be honest, has probably been out on an island more often than not than uh, most other NHL goaltenders over the last couple seasons. Yeah, it's about time he got that help. It's funny he got a little bit more help this season. Uh, still shelled, still too much defensive time, and and actually his, his numbers came off. But what Rick Bonus has done in Dallas, this isn't Barry Trotz, one of the two or three best defensive coaches that exist on the planet, but this is a consistent top 10 team in terms of defense, whether you're measuring it by goals against or expected goals against the sort of shot quality metrics. Presumably, Connor Hellebuck's job just got easier. Of course, we have to recognize that there are miles of ground to travel between, um, you know, Paul Stastny's comments about not respecting each other enough and not committing to the 200-foot game enough and actually doing those things. But Rick Bonus's impact where he's been has been to improve the defensive quality, and that's supported by players who've played for him. That's supported by an analytic perspective as well. Uh, Connor Hellebuck presumably gets to breathe, um, you know, and ideally he doesn't play close to 70 games or whatever uh, as well. Uh, I spoke to Eric Comrie last week, by the way, and, and I, I believe he hopes to sign on with Winnipeg and it'd be a part of the long-term solution in Winnipeg as well. No doubt about it. Murata Tesh of The Athletic is with us. Hey, folks, uh, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. You can join us daily here at 1 o'clock Central here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, and, of course, Murat will have a ton for you coming up in The Athletic over the next few days. I know right now I'm sort of most focused on, you know, player moves and what might happen with the general manager. But there is, of course, a draft coming up, and the Jets have two picks in the first round. Well, what's your feeling on the way the Jets approach this? And um, and I know there's a lot of mocks out right now, but is there a player or two that you're sort of identifying either at 14 or 30 that um, might be a likely selection if available for the squad? Yeah, I mean, the two that come to mind at 14, which is interesting to narrow it down to two because the way that the board might break, it seems like there's a lot of depth of top end talent, but not this extreme top end talent. So you've seen the, you know, you've seen lots of different options become available by number 14. But if you look in Winnipeg's backyard, you have the possibility that big centerman Connor Geeky is going to be available. That's a player that I think would be difficult to to pass up on if you're the Winnipeg Jets. You've seen 
Uh, you've seen him in your backyard. He's He has the NHL pedigree. He has the size. He has the skill. He's been doing it for a lot of years and can be an impact player, projects as a big center. Um, the other one, though, goes to Winnipeg's wheelhouse, which has been these uh, USNDTP programs, the Americans that end up going to play college. And it would be interesting to me to see Frank Nazar be available at 14 overall. He's you know, five foot ten, five foot eleven, which was definitely going to dissuade some Jets fans who were already thinking Cole Perfetti and Chaz Lucius are too smaller. The NHL group is too small, but he is an absolute burner. He's a point producer. He goes to hard areas. He's not a wallflower. Um, so uh, Frank Nazar is a centerman who I think would be interesting to the Winnipeg Jets based on their history at fourteen as well. There's the ever-present question of will there be Russians uh, taken by the Jets, such as defenseman Pavel Minchukov at 14 overall, or whether it's Korchinski, whether it's even Denton Matichuk with Manitoban ties available at 14 overall. But my guess is you see a center there, and um, uh, and then you see the the Jets completely reevaluate by the time 30 hits around. Well, and, and what's interesting, and I think you sort of touched on this, Murat, but I mean, the Jets have had a number of picks in sort of this range in the, you know, the mid part of the draft. And, you know, whether it was Kyle Connor, whether it was Cole Perfetti, um, you know, we have seen them essentially just wait to see how the board breaks out. And, you know, more often than not, there's been a guy available that they've had rated significantly higher and it's turned out pretty well for the club. Um, that I imagine will be the plan at 14. Do you think that they take maybe a little bit more risk with the second first round pick looking to hit a big home run? Or is it, again, just going by the board and uh, taking the best player available? I think that what they'll do is they'll they'll put their players in in, in tiers and they, they'll, they may take a bigger swing from their top tier available at, at 30th overall. And I know in a mock draft that we had at The Athletic, you know, extremely... Uh, interesting, intriguing, once thought of as a top five talent, even Miro Schnitschenko, um became available. And I took him uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, thinking that they'd be willing to take a risk like that. A huge home run swing was thought of as a top five talent, but has had health issues and otherwise that make one wonder whether he'll be a top 15, top 20, whether he'll go at the end of the first round. Um, I'm not sure that the Winnipeg Jets are first in line to take the enormous, you know, so-called gamble on Russian players right now. But that is the sort of thinking, the, the idea that you have the opportunity when you have that many picks. And if you come out of 14 with a player that you genuinely believe is going to, you know, become a, a successful player for you, that there's a little bit more room to, to wheel a little bit. At the same time, I don't think Winnipeg was exactly reaching with Jack Roslevic when they took Kyle Connor earlier on. Um, maybe Logan Stanley was a little bit of a project once they had Patrick Laine in the mix. So that's, uh, that justifies it as well. I think they have room to, to go for that top ceiling and, and, and play a little bit with 30. Uh, Marat, this has been uh, awesome. Uh, fill us in on uh, what you've got coming up in the athletic over the next few days, uh, out in Montreal. Well, we got draft coverage for sure. Um, going to have some reflections on picks and that'll be led by Corey Promen and Scott Wheeler. We're so lucky to have prospect experts on our, on our site. Plus all of these NHL writers from the athletic will have 30 plus people, I think 40 plus people at the draft. So that's exciting. We'll collaborate on some draft coverage. We have to fill out Winnipeg's uh, coaching staff as well. Like I say, I mean, um, Scott Arneal has been announced as the associate coach that was locked in for an extremely long period of time. Yeah. Nice work um, on that, by the way, you, uh, you were out there on that for a long time. It took a little while, but uh, exactly as you called, geez, a month or two ago. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the nod. Yeah, I, I checked. It was May 31st. Um, so that was something that was an organizational priority. 
I'm not as certain about this, but I, I'm definitely hearing, you know, some optimism for Nolan Baumgartner out of Vancouver and definitely a familiar person to Winnipeg Jets. He's a, He's been not so successful with the Vancouver PK, but I've liked some of the progressive things he's done with their defense. So if he's their defense coach, you might also think that Ville Hanela or Dylan Sandberg or Logan Stanley or whoever's going to get the job done based on performance, age won't matter so much anymore. That's kind of an, in, that's an intriguing one to me, depending on, uh, on what skills he brings over, if it in, doesn't indeed end up being him. And then last but not least, I have a story that I think is pretty fun about what I think is Winnipeg's best draft pick ever and some of the behind-the-scenes tomfoolery that led to Winnipeg picking him when they did when they did. Uh, cannot wait to uh, to, to read it. Uh, that's a one heck of a tease, my friend. Hey, have a great time out in uh, Montreal. going to be a very exciting week for everyone involved in the National Hockey League, but... I think in particular for Jets watchers, considering what we expect to happen, whether it's today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, we know that there's a lot more change coming to this organization as we get through this offseason. Thanks so much for doing this, pal. Thanks for having me, Hus. Great stuff. At WPG Marat on Twitter. Make sure you're following all of his uh, social media pops. And, of course, check out his work at The Athletic. All right. Um, we're going to talk some bombers and get reaction to the Jets hire from one Troy Westwood coming in just a second. Uh, before we do that, if you're thinking about getting a new vehicle this summer, don't go anywhere before popping by and visiting the experts down at Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? And if you're thinking about going electric, they've been the leaders in Tesla sales for years in Winnipeg. And also talk to them about that Tesla experience program where you'll find out everything you need to know about considering a switch from a traditional vehicle to an electric one. Not Auto Corps at Waverly and McGilvery. And you can check them out online at not.ca. Uh, hey, you folkies getting ready for the Folk Fest coming up on the weekend? Well, when you're out there, make sure to check out Little Brown Jug's newest beer, the Folk Fest Lager. It's available now at the brewery and tap room. You can also order online at littlebrownjug.ca, along with all their other wonderful beers and the summer variety pack. Uh, but the Folk Fest Lager, a great new beer from Little Brown Jug, ready just in time for the big gathering out of Big Bird's Hill on the weekend. Um Hey, I popped into BP last night with some of the fellas to watch the game. Always a great spot to uh, gather with the gang to watch on the uh, big screens with big sound. And don't forget the uh, great Appy Hour deals available at your local Boston Pizza from 3 to 6 and 9 to 12 each and every day. And, of course, check out that new summer menu on right now, including Carnitas Tacos, a new pizza, and, of course, Pizza Flights are back as well. And... Uh, Hey, Bombers are back. Just one more home game. I think they've got one home game over the course of the six games that began with yesterday. Uh, but a week Friday, they'll be back at home. And uh, when you're heading out to the game, make sure to get there early and take part in the Princess Auto tailgate party. Uh, we've got so much going on. Cheap beers, hot dogs, drinks, great entertainment with my guy DJ Finesse and the Princess Auto staff will be there giving up prizes as well to Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans. Two hours before the game, it's on outside at the Princess Auto tailgate zone. Of course, Princess Auto proud sponsors the Gold Eyes, the Bombers, and the place where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road or Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. All right, we will get to 
those CFL lines and the cool bet lines a little later on. Bombers, underdogs on the road coming up on Saturday. We'll also get to our picks for Assiniboia Downs tonight for live racing. But right now, let's welcome in longtime voice of the big show on our old station, the one and only Troy Westwood. What is going on, my man? Great to have you back on the program. Living the dream, Huss. Great, great seeing you, man. Good summer. Uh, how's the fam? Uh, hitting the hitting the pitch quite a bit lately. What's going on? Yeah, basically, it, uh, you know, the pitch and just saying that makes my heart warm, man. But just anything to do with soccer is basically a home away from home for our family year round, more or less, man. Well, uh, the uh, we're going to have uh, lots of soccer talk in oh, November baby. of all oh, months coming up for the World yeah. Cup. Uh, and actually great to hear that Canada soccer's actually tabled a new offer to the players, both the men's and the women's. Hopefully that can be put in the rear view and we can get some quality preparation for uh, this tournament for the first time in many of our lifetimes. Uh, but Westy, I want to talk Jets with you, but of course we had some Monday night football in the Canadian, uh, in the CFL last night. Bombers get to 4-0, and bit of a nail biter. And one of the more bizarre games I can remember, I mean, between the touchdown that the, the Bombers gave up to that crazy Harlem Globetrotters-esque pick, uh, and then, of course, uh, Karma coming back. I mean, the Argos won their game on a missed a field goal shorter than a convert, and then, I mean, maybe the biggest leg in the CFL misses a uh, chip shot last night, and the Bombers win by one. What were your takeaways from last night's win for uh, the team to get to 4-0? You know, we talked about this just off air a little bit, Huss, but my premier takeaway was, man, I and they sure miss Andrew Harris. And I, you know, I know the old Wally Buono, it's better to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late. Whenever, I don't know when his engine is going to run out, you know, and when you're going to see that diminishing sort of return there. But my goodness, he is such a joy to watch. And uh, it, it just, and hey, leading into this game, that's basically the talk, I think, around the city and province, right? Is that just that offense really misses Andrew Harris? You see him flex last night, cause a, a fair amount of trouble and just the level of consistency and mm. the way the man runs with that ball. It's just, he's beautiful to watch. And it kind of worked out perfect, I guess, for people that really miss him, right? He had a great game. The Bombers walk out with a win. So I guess that's perfect. Yeah, uh, but you are uh, absolutely right. And we hit this earlier on. I mean, like, I think if Andrew Harris is playing for the Bombers last night, the Bombers comfortably win that football game. Agreed. Um, Agreed, man. I mean, the Bombers had 60 yards on the ground. We wouldn't be having this conversation if Brady Oliveira was tearing it up and Johnny Augustine, but that hasn't happened. Well, what do you make of that, Troy? I mean, is this, um, you know, a young player that's just not getting the job done, or is it more that, um, you know, the offensive line's changed up a little bit? Obviously, you've got the center out right now. Um, sometimes it's easy to blame one guy for a lack of success in an aspect of the game. Um, but of course, you're going to look at the guy carrying the football because we knew what this team did with 33 in the backfield for so many years. I've got a real soft spot in my heart for Oliveira, you know, as a Winnipeg kid and even closer than that. He just was uh, his family. We, we know the family and that sort of thing. So I thought, man, like I thought that passing the baton was going to be a fairly smooth transition with me and Augustine. Right. Two guys kind of cut from the same cloth sort of thing, but they're not there yet. And, and so. You know, you just can't watch the Bombers play and say, yeah, it's been an incredibly smooth transition. Those two young guys are running with the same sort of relentlessness that you see from Andrew Harris. It just hasn't really happened yet. And and maybe it's even more like whatever that spiritual connection, if I may, that Andrew Harris seemed to have with the entire team, really big time with the offense. It's just something isn't in sync yet. You ask a great question, Huss. 
know how much of that is um, possibly the old line, other contributing factors. But I, like you point out, man, it's just it hasn't quite happened that those two young, uh, very good athletes have taken over and really cemented that position yet. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, you know, if you look at you know the data, you look at the way professional sports works. I mean, there is a shelf life of particular players and running backs, especially into their 30s. I mean, they just simply don't have years like Andrew Harris has had recently. But this guy's an outlier. He's been an outlier for his entire football career. And looking at the way he played last night for the Toronto Argonauts, it was so strange to see him in double blue as opposed to blue and gold. But it's quite clear he still is the premier running back in this league right now. Yes, agreed. I agree, man. He just, he's still to this day. I've never been affected as a fan watching the games, the way that he affects me, man. Like he makes you want to get up and run through a wall in the living room. It's just the craziest thing, but I'm right there with you, Hus. That doesn't appear there's any sort of a drop off. And with his age, I don't even know how old is he now? Well into his mid thirties sort of thing. Yeah, It's crazy. And he's still delivering. Um, but I think in an all around sort of sense, right. The, maybe there was a, that, that decision, um, to end that relationship with the club, it, it seemed like a difficult one and that maybe there's a little bit of complexity to it as well that we don't maybe know very clearly as the general public sort of thing, but a difficult decision. And, and But bottom line is, Huss, you're, I'm right there with you, man. There's no doubt Andrew Harris could still play this game. And like you said, the premier back in the league. Well, and, and listen, I mean, from a bomber standpoint, I mean, yes, they're 4-0 and it's about winning football games, but I mean, there's been a razor thin margin right now. And if all of a sudden, you know, they're not dominating the turnover battle in a game and another team takes care of the football, we're maybe having a very different, you know, conversation. And we'll get to that with, you know, a huge matchup on Saturday against the British Columbia Lions. Uh, but before we do that, the one thing that you know you can count on is Willie Jefferson, Adam Big Hill, and the boys on the Bomber defense making big plays, especially deep in their own end zone. Um, uh, you know, For all the talk about the offense and the issues that they've had on and off so far this season, the Bomber defense is still a championship-caliber unit. And I guess ultimately that's pretty much apropos, right? Because you go back to the uh, 84, 88, 90 realm and – and boy, that defense just defined, like there's something, I don't know what it is, Husk, but for any of us that grew up here and have the tradition of the Blue Bombers, there's something about that defense that sort of, you know, that when you have the aura of that level of defense uh, going back over that time frame to where we are right now, and you've always got a sizable chance to win, you're always in the game. They seem to always be able to come through and make it happen. So yeah, I, I think that everyone involved, uh, fans, players, coaches, all that sort of thing, can still feel pretty comfortable about where this team is. There's no doubt something, you know, a little bit of traction needs to happen with the offense. God help the rest of the CFL if and when that does happen. Until then, that defense is going to carry this team. You know, one of the other things that was interesting to see for people that were watching on the tube last night was the Argos almost brawling with each other on their on the sidelines. Um, you spent a lot of time on sidelines. Do you ever remember teammates going at it in the middle of a game? And that's a, I don't think so in the middle of a game. I remember during the Reinbold years, we had like the entire O-line against the entire D-line, and then that morphed into O versus D, and a couple of kickers, and Bobby and I just sort of stood away and watched it happen. Commentary? But, like, during, during, the, during the game, yeah. I mean, you love seeing that fire, right? I guess internally, I like seeing that fire, but but, I mean, that's there's an offense and there's a team 
that's struggling mightily offensively. And how about, and, and sorry for the sidebar here, Huss, but I, I just got a kick on, they showed on TSN this morning, they showed the CFL standings, the, the West on top of the East, <laughs> just by chance. And it looked like it was all one division. Like how horrible and embarrassing and pathetic can the East continue to be year after year after year? It's just, and I know that there's, you know, Hamilton was strongest up, but right now you look at the standings and it's, it's just horrible looking, isn't it? Huss? It's hilarious. I mean, you've got two teams in first place at one and two an Owen three team and an Owen four team. And then, you know, a team like the Elks that finally got off the, off the mat and won a football game. I mean, they're still looking up at the rest of this division, you know, with the reemergence of the British Columbia Alliance, Saskatchewan, Calgary, and Winnipeg. And, uh, it's a tough neighborhood to be in. Like hey, you, you, you can be zero and four right now in the East, and you're still thinking we can win this division. Like you can be in first place by next it. week. <laughs> One game. Well, Remus is throwing this up for folks that are looking at the YouTube. Well, as oh, I said, my. Edmonton. Yeah, I mean Edmonton's got the one win, and then you've got Saskatchewan in fourth place at three and one. And three undefeated teams. Of course, one of those undefeated teams is the British Columbia Lions. And, man, this is going to be a tough week for the Bombers. You know, you come back from that game, very short week. I mean, they might get one day of practice. They'll do a walkthrough and travel out there. And then take it on the team that has been the story of the Canadian Football League as a Canadian player. I mean, aside from having skin in the game, and, of course, we support the Bombers, what a story Nathan Rourke is so far this season, as well as the reemergence of BC that was, uh, you know, a bottom feeder last year. Yeah, and they seem to be creating some um, excitement in a market that I thought was kind of out of touch, possibly forever, and unsolvable in in uh, Vancouver. So that's really cool, right? And the change in ownership and the whole marketing thing. And this Nathan Rourke thing, man, Huss, it's so doggone cool. I mean, if you would have told me it really a couple of years ago, a few years ago, there's going to be a Canadian quarterback to come in and, and really kind of stir the dust up to excite people like when I see the Lions are playing Huss, I want to go out of my way to watch that kid play. It's and and ju it's just such a neat, cool thing that I don't know if you would have given it much thought of possibility. Like it just seems like a far-fetched dream because the kids, if you were Canadian, if your birth certificate said Canadian, you just weren't even getting a sniff basically just uh, X number of years ago. So just a absolutely fantastic thing to watch. Well, and we were talking, I was talking with, uh, with some of the buddies last night watching the game and we were talking about last weekend where Canadian quarterbacks won back-to-back -back games in the league. Yeah. I mean, like, has that ever happened before? I mean, I'm sure there were maybe some Canadians playing like way back then, but I mean, for a young man to go, like we're not even talking about Rourke, for Ford to go in the first round, the first quarterback drafted in round one since 1980, and, you know, get a start and get a win so earlier in his, early in his career, um, you know, for Canadian football, yeah. uh, it's it's really exciting. And I think there's a lot of people that have sort of, you know, overlooked, you nailed it. I mean, overlooked Canadian players, especially at the quarterback position, just because of, you know, how, listen, the factory that churns out players in the United States is incredible. But these guys didn't really get a shot. And I'll tell you what, if Nathan Rourke continues to do what he's doing, as well as Ford and Edmonton, I mean, maybe that changes the opportunity level and, um, you know, the, the serious consideration for players that have grown up playing the three-down game. And Hus, the, the, just to add to what you're saying there, one of the most tragic things in, you know, doing rifle games with uh, bombing and, and in anyone that's been paying attention, a couple of receivers in the CFL were quarterbacks and then would change positions, right, going into their senior year, certainly coming pro because they knew there was no chance – they're even going to get a sniff, like not even a look at playing quarterback. So what a guy like Nathan Rourke and this other Canadian talent that exists in the CFL, that they're actually getting the opportunity 
and now young quarterbacks can continue to actually have the dream or, or just have the dream of playing pro ball in the CFL in that position, not feeling like they need to make a, a the, you know, switch over to receiver or whatever it might be. That's just truly fantastic. Um, let's get back to the Bombers for a minute before we flip over to the Jets. Um, as I said, this is a very challenging week for the Bombers. They're going to play a top team on a short week, traveling from Toronto, traveling to BC. Um, how do you think Michael Shea handles the uh, the team? Like, what do you think the message is to the club? Uh, because again, 4-0, you're here to win football games and they're doing that right now. Um, but as I said, I'm sure there's a number of areas where he'd like to see this team improve and, and they will have to if they want to win another championship. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do, Huss. Um, but I think we all know that whatever he does is probably going to be the exact perfect thing to do to yeah. that locker room, right? Like, it, and you know, a few years ago, three, four years ago, we uh, maybe there'd be, you know, people would know we'd be speculating all that sort of thing. But he's got that locker room down to such a fantastically fine-tuned machine from a cultural perspective, from a perspective in general, right? Of just the the way that so many teams like uh, like to approach things week to week, all those sorts of things. They say the right things, but in practice, you don't know if they actually put them into play like that. But boy, the way that these guys are dialed into the the coaching leadership that exists with this team, Huss, you know dang well that they're going to hit the nail on the head with getting ready. Well, I cannot wait for this game coming up on Saturday. Certainly will be the marquee game in the Canadian Football League this week. It'll be must-see for any fan of the CFL with the undefeated Lions and undefeated Bombers going head-to-head out on the West Coast. Uh, we knew it was going to be a wild offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. We had to wait a little while, but the team finally has their head coach. I and mean, you knew that they you know, went as far as they could with Barry Trotz. It didn't happen. What do you think about Bones coming back to the peg? Rick Bonus, the new head coach. I think the way I feel is probably shared by the majority of Jets fans where it's kind of like, meh. No, like I know he's a super nice guy, comes across really well. He's incredibly well-respected and things of that nature. Barry Trotz would have been something, there, there would have been like a seismic shift in excitement, I think, for the Jets if Barry Trotz was going to be landing here. With Bar- with uh, Bonus uh, Huss, I think there's just kind of a, mm, I wonder – you know, can he really change the culture and, and, and to the degree that needs to happen here? And, you know, what level of fundamental change is going to happen with what people have viewed on the ice and been greatly disappointed in over the last couple of years? So I, I, to me, it's something that falls a little bit flat from an excitement and sinking its talons into me. And I, I still actually need a little bit of time to mourn the fact that Trotz actually isn't going to come here, Huss. Yeah, yeah, you're not the only one. We, have, we all had to take a little bit of time after that. It's great for the show, though. And and listen, Barry will get back in. And I think a lot of people thought that maybe this was, you know, a, a placeholder, if you will, for yeah. Barry Trotz. But I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Bonus comes here, you know, obviously with a great resume, uh, incredible experience. And, you know, tasked with turning a team around on the ice. But we mentioned about the culture change of this club. I mean, I certainly think Bones will have a part in it. But to me, I think the biggest um, steward of that culture change is going to be Kevin Sheveldayoff with player moves. Um, and quite interesting to hear the captain's Blake, name, name Blake Wheeler out on the uh, on the trade bait board right now and seemingly willing to go somewhere else. I mean, easier said than done at that age with that contract. Yeah. And we'll see what that deal looks like. But what do you think the Winnipeg Jets look like and that locker room does um, changes without Wheeler in the mix? Yeah, brother. And that's sort of the million-dollar question, right? And I'd, like... 
I don't know how similar or what you're saying there with a contract that chunky and his age. I don't know if that ultimately happens. And that's not what I want to have happen. To me, this, if you want to change things here, then I think you got to look at 55. You know, if that happens, then I'm going to go, that's going to catch my attention. And I'm going to think, hey, there can be a culture shift here in Winnipeg that needs to happen where you're skating in both directions with the same level of intensity. That's what I need to see happen here as quickly as possible to the combined efforts of Sheveldale and Bonus. You know, and, and like the, the Wheeler thing, he might, maybe they can somehow get rid, get rid of that contract Right, and everybody on the planet Earth, but for a small, tiny percentage, knew dang well the back end of that contract was going to end like this sort of thing. But it's more so number fifty-five, Huss. I want to see. I think he's got to be shipped out for the change to take effect that needs to happen here. Well, and, and it's funny. I mean, I certainly kind of thought that was going to be the case at the end of the season, and you know, we heard Dreger at one point reporting he can't see a scenario that Shifley's back we're hearing a very different tune right now. And I'm yeah. not sure how much that's tied into the uncertainty of Pierre Luc Dubois future here, but it does seem like they're coming back. Let me ask you this. Well, what do you make of Mark Shifley's situation? If he's coming back to the Jets dressing room with a new head coach and without his longtime running mate, the guy that basically had the keys to the room from Paul Maurice before and Blake Wheeler. Well, I've, I've really wondered at this point in time, you know, are those two guys as tight and, of one sort of uh, hockey soul as they were maybe uh, three, four years ago. That's a great like, question. I, it didn't seem that way at yeah, the end of the season. I agree, man. So I really wonder about, and I, I don't know how it could be, you know, if you were Blake Wheeler and you, and you know, as, uh, as whatever struggle that he might've endured or wherever his level of play is at his, at his age, nobody questions what he's given you, nobody. And so I don't know how a, a, a veteran, uh, of Blake Wheeler's age and what he gives night in, night out. I don't know how long you could endure reaching out to the younger kids saying, hey, man, like, come on, you, you've got to be equally invested in both directions. I, I would think that would cause trouble in a relationship at some point in time. So I, I don't know, like, I, I'm not buying that whole those two guys are sort of joined at the hip thing anymore, man. I just I don't see how that can still be the case. Well, and, and I mean, I think it's a great point because certainly at the end of the season when Shife was essentially checked out and then missed the final games, I mean, we saw Blake Wheeler, um, you know, I think, you know, kind of have some fun again, playing with Paul Stastny and playing with Nikolai Ehlers. And um, I'll say this, I mean, I, to your point, I mean, no one will ever question the effort of Blake Wheeler. I mean, I think there's probably... You know, uh, his role as captain, I mean, maybe the way he dealt with some players and certainly the media, I mean, there was some room for improvement, shall we say. But I don't think that just simply moving Blake Wheeler in his contract, I mean, first of all, I think you're going to miss some production from him. I and mean, we can talk about how much he's making in the age. He still has done a lot of things for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, that alone, I don't think just immediately solves the Winnipeg Jets problem and all of a sudden everything's happy-go-lucky. I mean, certainly the coach is going to have a part of that. But, um, you know, if Shifley is back with this club, I mean, all eyes are going to be on him more than ever before as to how he responds. Um, and, and you know what? I think that's from the fans, but I think it's from his teammates as well. I agree 100%. It's almost, it's almost to me like moving Wheeler would be a cosmetic sort of a thing. Know, and and moving Shifley now you're now you're talking about changing the DNA of the team and I, I just don't know uh, yeah you can, I know and I you know he's obviously w wickedly talented offensively gifted all those sorts of things but there's just a certain level of something there that 
it just doesn't seem right. And I, I think the fans of Winnipeg, I, and I, I, it'd be neat to see. I don't, I've been not aware of a survey of what percentage of individuals would like to see that level of change and shift. I, the, the, the one thing for sure, man, the level of disappointment over the last X number of years, the, the, you know, a, a change in coach and, and just the, sort of where the temperature is for Jets fans. I have so many people that I know that are affluent and have had season tickets, love hockey, love the Jets, are just sort of very um, just in in a place where they're almost uncaring. Like something fairly dramatic, I think, needs to happen. And there needs to be a seismic shift with this team, man. And there's, I think all of that falls on making a difficult decision, but a very important one with 55. And I, to me, it's not bringing him back. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, from everything we're hearing right now, it sounds like he will be back. And I mean, that will be a huge part of the job that Rick Bonus is going to have to do to bring this team together. And I think also, you know, to your point about, you know, some of the view of fans again on, on people. I mean, this team didn't seem like it was having a lot of fun uh, at any point last season, to be perfectly honest. And people like to cheer and get behind teams, like even if they're not winning every game. I mean, a team that works hard, that has the yes. personalities that come out of them. And, um, you know, I think that is something that hopefully Rick Bonus can have a significant change in because um, it was a pretty lifeless group at a time right now, and it certainly didn't inspire very much passion from a fan base over the course of last season. And it's interesting how we can hope that with bonus. With Trotz, we knew damn well that change would have happened, right? Knew damn well. If Barry Trotz shows up here, this team is different, man. Right across. So let's hope the bonus can achieve something along those lines. Yeah, no doubt about it. Troy Westwood is with us. Uh, Westy, a big week coming up. Just quick call on this Bomber game. I mean, uh, this is a real tough spot. When the team's heading out to BC, um, you think they get to five and zero right now? I mean, this is an ultimate test for a British Columbia team that you know probably wants to test themselves against the cream of the crop in the league, and that'll be the visitors on Saturday. It was really cool to see uh, Rourke struggle a little bit, right, with those two picks, and still get, do enough to get the job done. So that's a team that's rolling downhill right now for sure. The Lions. There's no way in the world I'm picking the Bombers to lose, though. But hey, going into Toronto, a place that's tough to win for this club. For, for decades, kind of the same thing out in BC, right? And to the just the bright lights, big city sort of thing. Um, hopefully, this defense could cause some confusion for the youngster, and the offense can start to gain a little bit more attraction. But this day and age, you just can't bet against the Bombers ever. The Bombers will squeak it out and continue to grow. Westy, you're the best. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and listen, it's going to be a really interesting week for, uh, for on the hockey side of things. Potential moves with the Winnipeg Jets. Obviously, the draft happening. This big game coming up. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again soon in a week or two and uh, get your thoughts on how things look post-draft and free agency for the hockey club. And obviously, always love your takes on the Bombers. Always a pleasure spending time with you, brother. Take care, man. All right, great stuff with Westy on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, again, folks, great numbers in here. Again, if you're new to the channel, make sure to hit that red subscribe button and uh, join us on the reg 1 p.m. Central Monday to Friday. And uh, if you can, hit that thumbs up as well. Helps us spread the channel. All right, we got to get to the cool bet lines. Hopefully we can have some winners for the track tonight with the Cinnaboya Downs. Uh, but definitely want to shout out our friends at Nick and Nikki DQ. Nick had a big birthday on the weekend. And when you're talking birthdays, what goes better with anyone's birthday than a DQ ice cream cake? Hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba, and they'll get it customized for you, ready to pick up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. And while you're picking up that cake, you can get it on uh, one of those delicious blizzards, ice cream treats, or, man, try those new stack burgers, which are phenomenal. Four locations in Winnipeg and southern Manitoba. 
DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Big thanks to our friends at Nick and Nikki DQ. And hey, we mentioned that the Bombers are back, not this weekend, but the following Friday. Um, be a great night to uh, have a few Canadian Club and Gingers. Of course, the new drink of the summer, ready to drink, pre-mixed Canadian Club and Ginger Ale, available along with all the Canadian Club and Bean products at the Bomber Games as Canadian Club is the official sponsor and the official spirit of the Blue and Gold. And uh, if you can't wait until the game, pop by your local beer store, grab a six-pack of CC and Ginger, and of course, all Canadian Club products are available at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. Uh, all right, we got to get to uh, our Assiniboia Downs picks. Jeez, I guess, uh, Remo, a week today, big Tuesday night on the 12th, we'll be uh, hosting all of our winners from the Pick 6 contest Really looking forward to getting out to the track and mostly looking forward to getting back to that incredible prime rib buffet. Yeah, that's going to be a blast getting to the track. Maybe it'll be better luck for my picks if I make them while I'm there and able to watch the horse and cheer it on because uh, I have been ice cold uh, with the picks. Except when we did that contest, I was hitting winners. I would have won a contest if I was eligible to enter. So <laughs> I'm going to feel good about being there. I did get two right during the contest period, so... Uh, I'll try to get back at it this evening. Good stuff. Well, let's get to the picks. I've got mine ready to go. Uh, we're going to start off uh, for tonight, of course, post time, 7.30 p.m. at uh, Cinnaboya Downs. And if you are ever thinking about maybe getting into that terrace dining room for uh, all the incredible food off the menu or the world-class prime rib buffet, uh, you can get uh, more information at asdowns.com or call to make a reservation. Uh, race two, I'm going to go with my... Uh, $1 triactor box. It's a $6 bet. We're taking three Steely Caper, four Spicy Wit, and number six Swipe Left. Moving on to race number <laughs> three. I'm going to take, this is a little chalky, but we're going to go uh, five and six. Anchor up in Benroy on a $4 Quinella bet. Uh, moving on to race four. We're just going to pick a winner. $4 on Wits Coco. I'm always a sucker for the Wit horses, but they've done me well in the past. So we're going 4 bucks on Wits Coco to win. And then the final $6 bet will be from race five. Another $6 or $1 triactor box, I guess. Any order. Number one, Moss Mischief. Number four, Midnight Salute. And number five, or is that right? Number six, I believe, Strider's Ring is the uh, is the number. So uh, we'll get that in, make it happen, and uh, hopefully, uh, I only uh, had one winner last night on one of the show bets, so I certainly need to do better. Remo, I know you're in a bit of a slump. Uh, how are you breaking the slump tonight? Where are you going? Big slump. Uh, Mitch, uh, Mitch uh, from what AZ Mitch. What is he in Twitter? Mitch Winnipeg Hockey Talk, I believe. Yeah. He DM'd me, he said, go with the Quinellas, and he just won our uh, showdown DraftKings last night, so I'll go with him. Nicely was, done, Mitch. Yeah, I got, hey, I got second, so I was doing, I was doing okay. I was very happy, actually, that they missed the field goal because there was no more points, and I, I won a lot of my DraftKings uh, for the week, so it was, it was good. But um, race three, uh, Benroy to win. I believe you had Benroy in one of yours, so I like Benroy. Race four. I have a 3-4 Quinella, Wits, Coco, L, Chairman. So, again, we're both on Wits, Coco. Um, and this is, all, these are all Quinellas, so, you know, one, two in any order. Race six, I am on Mass Mischief. I believe you had Mass Mischief as well. And House Limit. 
And then the last one, race seven, three, nine. I think you had one of these two. Wake up call. Oh, no, you weren't on this. Mr. Dazzle, I've won on before. I like Mr. Dazzle. So, uh, wake up call. So, I'm trying to get like a, a favorite and like a long shot in a Quinella here. Try to get some, try to get some winners. Nicely done. Yeah. By the way, that race five um, pick for me was one big stretch for Dixie Mo and five wits, Tenny 10. Um, of course, get out to the track tonight. Should be a great night. Live racing tonight and tomorrow. And then, of course, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. And we're looking forward to hosting uh, all of the winners from the Pick 6 contest next Tuesday. So we'll see you there at Assiniboia Downs. All right. Uh, let's get to the cool bet lines. And we've got CFL lines for the upcoming week. There's just three games on the docket. Calgary Stampeders at the Edmonton Elks. The Stamps are three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Elks, a home dog, after that big first win of the season against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Ottawa Red Blacks laying six or getting six-and-a-half points as an underdog on the road to take on the three-and-one Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And this game was a one-and-a-half earlier. It's now two. The British Columbia Lions, favorites. I can't remember the last time the Bombers were an underdog. They will be an underdog on Saturday night coming off that one-point win yesterday against the Argos. Bombers, two-point underdogs and plus 120 on the money line. I cannot wait for this game. I know there's a lot of excitement about everything that's happening hockey over the course of this week. It can't get to Saturday soon enough to see what happens when the Bombers go up against Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions, who have been really the story of the CFL season so far. Time zones, has It's going to be tough for um, Bombers here. Trigger going, warning, time zones. Going from Toronto to Winnipeg to BC, playing a short week. I think it's stocked against them. I don't mind uh, them being underdogs. This Saskatchewan-Ottawa line, very interesting. I looked earlier today, I think it was four and a half. And I thought about taking Ottawa six and a half. I, would. I heard Ottawa opened some places like nine or ten points. I think they're way, way better than their record. Yeah, some... I'm taking some, Ottawa. Some other books. But I think I'm going to lay something on Ottawa here, six and a half. They just played BC... And lost, uh, lost in overtime. So uh, I like Ottawa. I don't think Saskatchewan is that great. Although they do have real home field advantage there. No doubt about it. Um, uh, Wimbledon, uh, we've got uh, Rafael Nadal going up against Taylor Fritz in one of the quarters. And Nick Kyrgios, a big favorite. Uh, actually, he's had a great tournament so far. Minus 385 against Garen. And uh, Djokovic, after his epic Come back today, down two sets to zero against Yannick Sinner of Italy. Comes back and runs the table. He's a massive favorite in the semis. And as far as to win the tournament outright, Djokovic now minus 357 to win. Nadal plus 425. And bad boy Nick Kyrgios, 9-1. to one. Could also get on the Scottish Open odds as well at Cool Bet. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, tomorrow... Noon our time before Winnipeg Sports Talk. Join myself and Dustin Nielsen for an episode of The Lock Shop. We will hit the Canadian Football League, the NHL Draft. There's some props up there for that. Actually, speaking of which, let's see if those lines have moved at all. Uh, right now, still Shane Wright, minus 303 to be the first overall pick. Yuri Slavkovsky, plus 175. And Logan Cooley, our guy Chris Peters' pick, is at 20 to 1. Connor Geeky's draft position is over under 13. And uh, I believe Matt Savoy's, uh, the other uh, player from the ice expected to go early in the draft, his over under is eight and a half. So uh, 
We'll uh, fire up all of that tomorrow. And of course, if you haven't played a cool bet before, use the promo code WST. Get a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. Hey, Remo, before we finish up, um, some pretty big news today in the national hockey. Listen, not a huge one out of it, uh, out of Denver. Andrew Cogliano's back on a one-year, $1.25 million deal with the champion Avalanche. Um, but a couple significant hires. Haley Wickenheiser joining the Toronto Maple Leafs as their assistant general manager was already working in the uh, in the organization. Tell you what, considering what's happened with Hockey Canada, I would have personally loved to have seen Haley maybe be uh, a leader going forward with uh, the national governing body of the sport. They certainly seem like they need some change, but that's a great ad. Um, and the first black general manager in the history of the National Hockey League is in San Jose. Former NHLer Mike Greer gets the job to... Uh, lead the Sharks back to the promised land out of a couple really miserable seasons in the Shark Tank. Yeah, that is, uh, I was pumped for Mike Greer. Huge fan of him as a player with the Oilers and the Sabres. Uh, He's been in a scout, an assistant coach, advisor in hockey operations. So, you know, very nice to see Mike Greer get an opportunity as GM. They have to bring in a coach because they fired Bob Bugner over the weekend. If you thought the Jets, you know, were late on getting a coach, well, the Sharks don't have one either. We'll wait and see. What happens there? And we do have the, I'm wearing the Coachella Valley Firebirds hat today. And they made it a hire as well. Jessica Campbell, a female behind the bench as assistant GM. Uh, Dan Balsmo was recently hired as the head coach. Assistant coach, that, isn't it? Sorry, assistant coach. Yeah, assistant coach. Uh, yes, the assistant GM would be behind the desk, not behind behind the bench. Well, the but, diversity um, of the league certainly getting yeah. better. Great to see some women getting some opportunities. And uh, obviously, hey, listen, Mike Greer was a great player in the National Hockey League. He was around for a long time. I'll be really interested to see what he does. Obviously, wish him well. Hey, do we want to get to the text etiquette question uh, coming out of uh, yesterday's well, press conference with Rick Bonus? Have people been talking about that in the uh, in the chat today? I think text etiquette has really come up in Winnipeg over the last couple days. Um, there's some people in chat that are like, how are you guys even talking about this? Why is this a thing? But I think how just the way that he stumbled through the answer saying that he called and got a text back. And again, well, I didn't ma- think he stumbled. I mean, I think he was just pretty matter of fact about it. Yeah, I called him, left a message, got a text back. Maybe we'll talk to him at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like if I think maybe I, I don't know what would. You don't know what the circumstances were, so it's really hard to come to any conclusion. Uh, you know, but however, I would say if someone called me, I would probably call them back unless I really didn't have access to a phone, like I was in. Um, you know, where where were you last week? Dolphin, where they didn't have cell yeah. service. Yeah, or well, you were they in had the, cell service. You were in the Dauphin. bush. Clear Lake was a bit of an issue when we were uh, we were on the mm-hmm. golf course. <laughs> so, I, I think it's just interesting, and that's what you can say. And maybe it was nothing. I'm sure Blake will. Address it later and laugh it off and say, "Oh well, yeah." If that happens, I mean, I think to be honest, I mean, I think most people's take was that uh, Wheeler, especially with everything that we've heard reported, may already have one foot, if not both feet, out the door in Winnipeg, and not a conversation that needs to be ha- I, needs to happen. I will say, uh, so here, here we got it. The takes are flying in from chat. Uh, Waiter says Wheeler could be on vacation. Mesa Stormy, if you can text, you can call. And Isho Boy Bruce says, when the coach calls, you answer or call back. So, I don't I don't think I ever really got calls from the boss when I was. I remember, like, being on my honeymoon or whatever on vacation and answering calls. But it would always be annoying. But I think I would get emails and, and do it. So, 
Um, Listen, I mean, new I, head and, coach coming in, probably a good idea to have a one-on-one with the. The bottom line is, I, I will say this. I think uh, what he had to say about the conversation with Shifley gives some people uh, some optimism that if Mark's going to be here, he'll be buying in and can be part of the solution going forward. I think that's probably quite I, different I think, the way most people felt at the end of the season with the way that he played and especially what he had to say at the end of the year. Well, I think that was the surprising part where he was able to get a hold of Mark and talk to him. And then Blake was uh, the text. There were people wondering if it was a text where he actually wrote it into the keyboard or it was one of those auto replies that when you go to decline a call and it gives you an option of what to use. <laughs> Sorry, think, I can't talk right now. Yeah, do you think he just did one of those? <laughs> I'll I mean, have to do some more digging. That that's why it's so much fun fun to talk about. It's like a Larry David uh, episode, like a <laughs> Seinfeld thing, like text etiquette. He he called and you texted him back. You were supposed to call back. What are you thinking? So it's a whole. I think it's a whole like Seinfeld twenty twenty two thing. I mean, whether whether or not you you know, not judging a guy's character, but just the idea. I think everyone can relate to getting a phone call, whether you call or text back. Well, from the new boss, I'm I would be calling, but uh, who knows? Maybe they've had a great chat already, and we just don't know about it. Bottom line is, we're hoping to have Rick Bonus join us some point next week after things settle down, coming out of the draft. Uh, but certainly, we'll have much more to talk about it tomorrow on the program. Uh, who do we have tomorrow? We've got um, Mike McIntyre, Grant McKeg on the draft as well. Um, then, of course, Thursday, a uh, Billick's going to jump on with us. Brandon Rewicki, a little more on the draft, and Friday will be a great show. Um, Ken Weeb will join us from Montreal. We'll uh, kind of recap what the Jets did in round one. And Shane Malloy is going to jump on <clears throat> as well. And he'll give us a rundown of uh, the picks that he liked the most, the ones that maybe were a bit of head scratchers and uh, some early draft grades for uh, what the Winnipeg Jets did with presumably using both of their picks in the first round at 14 <laughs> and a 30. I'm just laughing at the chance. Dan, the Jets fan, agrees with me. And Ishaboy Bruce is very... Curb, curb mo- moment. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I totally get that. He probably on vacation, maybe not able to talk. I mean, there's been times, but uh, it is just, it's just funny. Uh, just the situation is like, well, I called him and he kind of mumbles, text me back. So we'll, we'll, we'll get in touch. I mean, he's the captain of the team. Oh, so. man. Shout out to everyone in chat. It's your boy, Bruce. Great show today. WST is rolling into the week. We certainly are. Big week still to come, though. Uh, first round of the draft on Thursday. Um, we'll uh, have plenty of draft coverage heading in as well as on Friday. And uh, then, of course, next week, we don't have a lot of time before we get to unrestricted free agency uh, and some really interesting names on the board. Whether the Jets will be in the mix, we will see, uh, but we'll be all over it for the next few weeks. And of course, we can't forget about that big bomber game on Saturday night against the British Columbia Lions, 4-0 Winnipeg, 3-0 BC. It is the game of the week in the Canadian Football League. Hey, great show today. Thanks to everyone that's come out. Hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. And if you're listening to the podcast and you ever have the option of going on to Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star rating and a little review. Certainly appreciate that. It really does help us spread the channel as well. Thanks to Rennie, Sean Reynolds. By the way, we'll be doing a raid. We'll send you guys right over to Kenny and Rennie right now. If you just stay with us on YouTube, of course, Murad Atesh as well, and the one and only Troy Westwood. Thanks to all the sponsors that make this program happen every day. And most of all, thanks to you for hanging out with us. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. We're going to head you over to a KNR right now. Thanks for being with us today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Oh! 
Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.